heard about your new film and how the critics really loved it. Including yourself, but that you really do a good effect. All your dreams have come true. I heard you bought a house in Martin E because you couldn't stand the smell of all the sugar sophisticated creeps, and that you really do a good effect. You're looking thin. I'm so happy for you. Everybody, it's Jason and Todd. Talk through lousy films. It's take, it's take two. That's that's the name of the game. We're taking two because uh, technical issues. And I tell you, I've been having technical issues uh, at home editing a sound project. But it's funny because you're having issues that are actually with the machinery. I'm just stupid. <laughs> that's Jason, everybody. And that's uh, Todd. Todd's the one that runs things. And I have never given you the proper props. For running this thing. Have you ever edited this show? Uh, like Jason says something stupid or inappropriate or there's just, uh, you know, too much. <laughs> uh, do you ever go in and sound edit? Like edit the, uh, our, our dialogue together? I've, well, the, the only instances where I've had to do that um, were, because sound gets dropped sometimes. Yeah. And then I'll have to edit our conversation as if, I just have to remove a couple of things right. to get them together. Uh, and then there was one time uh, you said a word and you asked me to remove it, and I did. Uh, uh, was it cunt? No. Uh, thank you. <laughs> there's, there's, there's all kinds of reasons uh, that uh, I wouldn't want a thousand cameras on me when I went up, for instance, and slapped a guy who was presenting for best you know, documentary. Yeah. Uh, uh, you don't want... To be recorded sometime. Well, and I realize, like, you know, if, if people go back and they listen to the episode where my roofer shows up, yeah, there is a uh, N-bomb in there that, at the time, I opted to leave it in. And I now I probably am thinking I should go back and... Well, I'm not gonna. Uh, you know, if I... Uh, it was his. It was the roofer said it, and it was in context about a story about him getting in a fight with racists who used that word. Uh-huh. But he used that word within the dialogue of his story that he was presenting. Yeah, which uh, which puts us in a bind because you know that's not the show we're trying to do. Even though Jason occasionally fucks up because he's <laughs> fifty one and not particularly housebroken and uh, not a particularly good person. Well, in the case of that one that I went and edited that out, you that was also something that you said in context of a story. Yeah. But you also afterwards said, you know, I fucking shouldn't be saying that. No, it's uh, it's it's a good time to uh, to just uh, pull back and say, you know, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. I'm, say, I'm trying to say okay a lot more than I used to. Uh, about things that I think I should be able to do. I mean, what are, I have a lot of things I'm able to do. I don't need to do everything. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you don't need access to all the words. <laughs> yeah, I have I have some words at my disposal. It's okay. Well, you um, know, my wife just went through that whole thing at school. I don't know if we ever talked about that. I don't. No, I don't. Because and simultaneously, while she was going through this at school, a teacher in the OC was suspended. Okay. Because she used the word reading a poem uh-huh. uh, during Black History Month. Okay. Uh, a poem written by a black woman about uh-huh. racism. Uh-huh. Um, and that word was in it, and she said it out loud, and that sparked a whole thing. And what, she was reading. Was the teacher not a person of color? No. Okay. Uh, and the, and and my uh, wife went through the same. She didn't get suspended, but she dealt with it. And her ultimate conclusion after all of it was, it, it's true, if... if uh, a kid of color hears that word regardless of what kind of context it's mm-hmm. in and and they get jarred and offended mm-hmm. you know that's who it's affecting and that's who you have to be sensitive towards in that situation sure. it's not about backing down from teaching critical race theory uh-huh. it, it, it's about just i don't know being considerate uh so that's ultimately what she said and it's not that she's not going to continue to teach you know, this book uh-huh. in future, it's just, she's not going to say that word out loud and she'll have that conversation about not right. saying that word out loud before she reads the book. So they'll still see it and they'll still know it. Yeah. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a more reasonable way to do a lot of things than our traditional ways. I was just watching last night, uh, a movie from 1950, 51 called broken arrow. With uh, uh, Jay Silverheels plays Geronimo in a small part, one of the one of the OG uh, actual uh, Native American actors to play Native Americans in American shitty westerns, and uh, in this movie he plays uh, Geronimo. And there's a lot of people who play Native Americans who are Native Americans in this picture. It's about Cochise's relationship with this uh, American. Army Scout, played by Jimmy Stewart. Cochise is played by uh, a Jewish guy from uh, New York uh, named Jeff Chandler, who has amazing cheekbones and this weird jaw. He looks like he would be cast as a Romulan, you know, or something. (laughs) He's he's just one of these very strong-featured, almost uh, like a parallel humanity, you know, like not quite what we think of as a human. Uh, Amazing-looking guy. And he does a good job as Cochise, but, you know, he's not Native American. And so, uh, you know, the, the, and this is a movie about the dignity of Native Americans and how Native Americans have always been shit on by uh, uh, Western culture, uh, as, you know, European culture as it came in and took over. And yet, you know, there's, there's not a Native American playing the, the lead Native American parts. Deborah Paget, who I think was Scotch-Irish, plays the... Native American girl who Jimmy Stewart marries, even though the actress is 15 and the actor is 42. And we move on, right? And this is all this shit that's going on in this super well-intentioned movie. I think I mentioned this recently that uh, I watched this John Ford movie, which starred Woody Strode, uh, you know, the black actor who, uh, of very limited uh, powers uh, as a thespian, but an amazing physical presence. And he's in a lot of, a lot of good Westerns and he's in, uh, He's also in Kingdom of the Spiders. Uh, he's, uh, uh, this movie, these movies are about uh, elevating, and uh, they're very liberal in their, in their consciousness. They're like, uh, you know, early 60s 
you know, and, and Broken Arrow is a lot earlier than that. It's it's these are gestures, major gestures by a major industry saying, "Look, we got to treat these people better." What the fuck? <laughs> and yet, these gestures are ham-handed by modern standards. You know, uh, seventy years later, it's very easy to say, "Well, they certainly could have handled that better." But we move on. What we're watching, by the way, the Oscar. From what year is this from? 1966. 1966. And you were saying uh, in our first take when the computer crashed, something about the guy who wrote it, which was interesting. Uh, Richard Sale is a uh, novelist, a pulp novelist, and a, a pulp uh, short story writer. And he became a screenwriter later on. He, he did uh, everything he could. He directed movies occasionally uh, when he could. And he wrote uh, the novel, The Oscar, which is about uh, Frankie Fane, uh, a climbing scumbag who uses everybody so that he can get to the top in Hollywood. He's an actor, and he abuses all his friendships, and uh, he's got no personal integrity at all. And it's a very torrid and uh, lurid and sleazy uh, 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 story. I've never read the book, and and this, this screenplay has been transformed by Harlan Ellison, who also didn't write a lot of screenplays. He wrote for TV plenty. Uh, and uh, Green and Rouse, who are the, the team that uh, uh, produce and direct this picture and a few others. So I don't know how sleazy the novel is, uh, but this, this novelist ended up writing uh, one of my favorite shitty movies, which is uh, The White Buffalo with Charles Bronson and... Uh, uh, Fuck the again the guy from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that plays Chief. Uh, he plays Crazy Horse and Charles Bronson plays Wild Bill or something. And they're both old and dying, and they have to go see the white buffalo and kill it as this sort of gesture. It's a poetic kind of thing. And he wrote both the novel and the screenplay to that, and they're both lovely and a very interesting career. This guy uh, from from. People who keep their heads above water and are able to get work out there and made and stuff over a period of decades, and I, I find that so impressive, especially when some of the work sucks and some of it is awesome. <laughs> but uh, the Oscar sucks. And it stars <laughs> Stephen Boyd, who's wonderful. Uh, I love him. Uh, uh, but uh, In some shots in this movie, mm-hmm. when it first started... <laughs> thought it was Stephen Lang. Like, really young. Yeah. He that's, that's, has yes, a, he does. How interesting. It. I feel like he's a more handsome... He's a more handsome... More uh, cabana boy uh, sort of uh, Stephen Lang. But he still has that... Like, Lang, the way he talks, like, he's got the thin lips and the yeah. way he talks mm-hmm. and the blue eyes. And also, he just kind of looks mean. Stephen Lang looks like he's going to kill you. He looks... To me, insane. There's something about his face, and he's always casting these characters who are just on the verge, you know? Just yeah. just, just, a little bit crazy. And Stephen Boyd has that. Stephen Boyd has a very dangerous quality. Uh, uh, he's very pretty, but he also looks like he might... Uh, look at him. Look at his eager, crazy eyes. He looks I like know. a psychopath. Oh, punched by the cops. Well, the cop has uh, an Oscar. That's Broderick Crawford, who won uh, Best Actor for uh, All the President's Men. No, All the King's Men. Sorry. Uh, an entirely better thing. And uh, at this point, he, was, he had a TV show, The Highway Patrol, I think. And he, would, 
He had to have the biggest car General Motors made because he's 300 pounds. And, uh, <laughs> he was just down in a fucking half gallon of ice he cream. He was literally sitting there eating <laughs> a of half the, gallon of ice cream out of the square tub <laughs> on his desk in the police station. Uh, fascinating also the casting of this is Tony Bennett in his only uh, film role, apparently, as far as I can tell, uh, playing Jaime the uh, business manager and only friend to this scumbag Frankie Fane. And as the movie opens, it's very verite. They're at the Oscars. Uh, It looks like an official production of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And certainly they did provide uh, some services and uh, allow this production some access. And uh, I think they probably regretted it later because this movie's lurid and tawdry. But it does start with Bob Hope. Telling Oscar Bob jokes. Bob Hope comes out and tells Oscar jokes right from the top, and it, it sure seems like this is something that everybody approved, but it's so unsanitized and so creepy and sleazy. <laughs> and the main character who's you know attempting to win this Oscar, and the end of this movie, I think, manages to be dramatically very strong for me. I, I'm moved at the climactic moment in the in the in, in the uh, Oscar arena. Do you know what building this is that they're using? No. I mean, I think they say at the beginning, but I was blabbing. Jill St. John is a, a, a major, major part here. Worst actress. One of my favorite worst actresses. She's just so bad. She's always bad in everything. <laughs> like, amazingly bad. Like, I don't know, like, just not on the page. But she's a hoochie girl in this, and she can't dance either. Uh, but she does she's, appear in bikinis the she, whole time. She's very fetching. Extremely photogenic. Uh, and uh, the Russell Rouse, who wrote this with uh, his partner, somebody green, I can't remember, uh, they also the, wrote DOA, the, oh, the yeah. original DOA, and uh-huh. they, of course, have a story credit for the remake of DOA. Uh, sure with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan? <laughs> Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan uh, fiasco. I didn't like that picture. Did you like that? No, but uh, you know, uh, if it <laughs> if it shows up like somewhere, like I'll go. It's, I'll watch it. It's again. hard not to watch it. It's got that pretty '90s '80s quality. You know, it's got those primary colors. Uh, the Quaid thrillers are hard to walk away from. You know, if if you're presented with the Big Easy, you're like, oh, I'll, okay. <laughs> I tell you what, I I can resist the Quaid thrillers, even though I find Quaid himself nearly irresistible. Uh, speaking of Quaid and Irresistible Men, I just want to tell that story real quick about Stephen Boyd. The most notable thing about Stephen Boyd uh, as an actor is that he played uh, the nemesis to Ben-Hur in the Charlton Heston version. And uh, there's a scene at the beginning of Ben-Hur where uh, Charlton Heston and Stephen Boyd see each other for the first time since they were just apparently really intimate friends as, as kids. Like, they see each other, their eyes light up, they leap into each other's arms, and then they immediately have this uh, stick-tickling ceremony where they pick up spears and rub them and look into each other's eyes from, I mean, fucking millimeters away. Their lips are almost touching. And then they have a contest of throwing the spears, and the spears, of course, stick into the wall right next to each other and sort of dangle and rub together and... It's astonishing. It's an astonishingly gay scene, which is written to set up, you know, the big uh, contrast and reversal when uh, when they become enemies in the next scene. Mm-hmm. 
and Gore Vidal was, you know, used to talk about this in interviews because he's a cunt and would say, yeah, uh, Charlton Heston didn't get it. He just never really understood what we were doing. And uh, it was silly. And uh, Stephen Boyd, when uh, some reporter went and asked him about it years later, and he said, oh, yeah, that's completely true. We played it gay. Everything was written gay. Charlton Heston played it gay, but denied it the whole time and acted like he didn't know what we were, what we were doing. And that's just silly. And Charlton Heston's response to this, uh, traditionally, uh, I've read a couple of his responses to this because people ask him about it over the years, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people show up at his house and make a documentary in his yard, you know. Yeah, yeah, when you're it's... a famous guy, this happens. And uh, every time I've seen him respond, uh, it is to say, uh, that never happened. William Wyler would have told me, the director. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and I feel fairly certain that Willie Wilder uh, directed that scene with homoerotic overtones for very good reasons because this was a director who was extremely sensitive to uh, human relationships. That's essentially why he won uh, so many actors, uh, so many Oscars. He was good at it. So Frankie Fane is, uh, in this scene, he's throwing over Jill St. John for Elkie Summer, who uh, is a costume designer for the movies or something, right? So like, mm-hmm. she's a connection. And so he, uh, so he leaps on that. And Elkie Summer in this picture is at her most fetching. So many of the actors in this are just, just irresistible. They're just, they're just at the height of their powers. They're so pretty. None of them is very good. Not, uh, Milton Berle, I think, turns in a good performance in this. He plays, isn't he a studio head? Oh, we haven't gotten that far. Every time I hear the word Elkie, the name Elkie... <laughs> I think of a one-act play that I was in a night of one-act plays and I wasn't in this particular play, but uh-huh. I was in the night of one-act plays and it was it was like a tragic one-act about a horrible alcoholic uh, whose her name was Elkie. <laughs> her first name was Elkie, last name Hall. And the name, <laughs> the name of the play was "Last Call for Elkie Hall." Uh, was it a, a serious drama? Yeah. Well, that's a mistake. <laughs> I apologize. I don't know that all the circumstances. Was this an undergraduate production? No, this uh. is here in L.A. It was a night of original one acts, one of which I wrote. Was it? Uh, Mine was called "Slipped It," and it was about a uh, serial killer who hadn't started killing anybody yet, and he mm. was turning himself in preemptively. Nice. But they wouldn't let him uh, turn himself in because he hadn't committed the crime. He had uh, to commit the crime first. Did he describe his plans? <laughs> yes, and he they, did. And they, you know, that's one of the drink rules, right? When we, uh, I don't drink, so I smoke pot. Uh, when we watch a real shitty movie. And one of the rules for every movie is you have to drink if somebody makes plans. Right? <laughs> when I get back from the war, my sister said we can start a bunny farm. I'm saving up money. She wants a pair of red shoes. And then the fucking CO has to send red shoes from the fucking war-torn Philippines. He's got to make sure that he gets a pair of red shoes to Ohio to this grieving sister. Look at her act. Look at Jill St. John act. You can't. I defy you to even look at this. You can't. You have to look away in shame. Shame that you're a human being. Poor thing. I don't like that when it's humiliating. I just don't like it. Was she um, 
uh, mouthing his lines as he was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. I, I forgive that one because I do that. I do that too. I've been. I've been I've, I was a long time uh, other people's line mouther on stage. Oh my god! What's your favorite line from this movie? Did one stick out? No. When you were watching. No, what? but I, you know, I did like it. I gotta say, I wasn't bored. No, well, it gets a little slow in the second act. But I was never really bored. Yeah, but the second act is when he, he has his shirt off all the time. Yeah, yeah, that helps. And uh, just the and they spend so much time by the pool and so many bikinis and so many primary colors. Look at this tawdry place. Her room is all <clears throat> scummy. No. And they're going. They're going all the way to Hollywood, baby. Uh, there's at one point in this Tony Bennett, who won the uh, Golden Turkey Award for his performance in this. At one point, he says to somebody, don't have a thrombo. <laughs> right. And I actually saw this line in another movie the other day. Don't have uh, a thrombo? Don't have a thrombo. So I don't know if this was actually a thing people said, hipsters in the 60s. I guess so, uh, then. Jesus Christ. Nobody <clears throat> ever said it in my house. No, I don't remember ever, anyone ever saying don't yeah. have a thrombo. So I've been, uh, your technical shit, I've been editing. I've been sound editing this project. And it turns out... Uh, because, uh, you know, I live a fairly uh, vagabond, uh, hit-and-miss existence. I, like, uh, I try to have a good time, that's about it. Uh, this, this thing that I'm doing, I, uh, I, I, gotta, I gotta make sure that the... Yeah, I'm sound editing. And it turns out that I have a weed potency limit for this job. Like this, I can't do... <clears throat> Uh, you know how in California they, they, they stamp you know the, the percentage of THC oh, yeah, on, sure, on yeah. the little container because that's that's now a huge selling point mm -hmm. and it's weird my friend in uh, New York I keep looking at these uh, Massachusetts and New York websites for weed they don't advertise THC at all they don't mention it in any of their come-ons and over here it's like one of the primary <clears> things <throat> you know? yeah smoky raspberry hints 26% yeah, yeah. You know, it's like the, it's one of the major features. And back there, it, uh, the places I've looked, it doesn't seem to have that. Uh, they, they're not that interested in pushing that aspect. Hmm. But at any rate, out here in California, we're always trying to outdo each other with how fucking high we can get. <laughs> right? I, I feel like there's, there's some sort of pressure here. The, the original stoner was kind of a pusher too, right? That 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 caricature that we have in society, the stereotype stoner. <laughs> You'll get so fucked up, man. Yeah, yeah. You better try it. Wait a minute. I only have a little. <laughs> then get lost. <clears throat> I've rarely had that experience. You have that experience a lot with cocaine. You know, people don't want to share their cocaine. I've yeah. had I've had lots of experiences at parties where men who didn't even want anything out of me. We're like, hey, have some Coke. Because it makes you so friendly, you know, briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I was at a cocaine party once. I didn't do it, but everybody really wanted me to. Oh, everybody was doing it. See, I've never been at one of those parties. I've been at one of the... I've been at the parties where there's a room upstairs where people... Where people duck away. Yeah. yeah. No, this was like a cocaine... It was on purpose. Wow. We're going over here to do some cocaine. Now, it was after, you know, it was an after-party situation. So, I was invited. I went. But I was like, I don't want to do cocaine. I don't want my heart to blow up. Uh -huh. I'm terrified of that. Yeah? 
Yep. So, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't do any, uh, me and uh, my friend, other friend who were there, we weren't doing, we were, they were the only two people. Well, then you gotta party. leave. That's no good. Were you able to have a good time? <clears throat> yeah, it was certainly interesting. I mean, it was, it, it's very interesting to be not on Coke surrounded by people on Coke. Yes, it is. And, and it, it, it was delightful and, and irritating at once. Um, you know, like yeah. one guy yeah. <clears throat> had me cornered to tell me how great I was. Because I think that's something that happens when you're on cocaine. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not always, you don't always turn into Johnny Depp and Amber Heard or whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, you turn into, hey, yeah, you're no, great. Hail fellow You're well great. Met. Yeah. <clears throat> and this guy just kept telling me how great I was. And after about 20 minutes, you know, he's telling me how great I was doing a lot. Yeah. It was. And after about 20 minutes, I was like, I, man, I thank you. Uh, this feels really good, but I, is, I'm feeling a little awkward now. Can we <laughs> can we steer the conversation to something other than how great I am? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I, I thought you should know, and then he kept going yeah, about how great yeah, I was. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that is a danger. Yeah, they say there are, there are dangers uh, uh, doing drugs, and uh, they are right. I've done a lot of them. They're not all safe. Not all a good idea, forever. <laughs> but you know, it's a long life, and people have uh, people have moments. Um. So I'm editing this thing, and uh, yeah, it turns out the 26 percent THC is uh, is as much as I can smoke. That's the highest potency I can smoke, and still be able to sound at it. Because I started the first day, I was I was smoking this 33 percent shit, and Boy, it was like doing fucking algebra, but like the way I do algebra, like the way I would do algebra now, 30 years after I took algebra six times and finally graduated with a C. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like it hurt my head. It made me want to cry. I was so confused instantly. And I said, okay, I can't do this. Obviously I'm a failure. And I, I went away and did something else. Um, and then the next day, I started without any weed at all, which I know is an extreme measure. Uh, but I was interested in this project, and I really want to really want to get it done. And uh, and it was fine. It wasn't confusing at all. It was fucking exactly the way it looked. It was obvious. You need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. The same gesture over and over. Which you would think with pot, that should be a fairly healthy activity. Yeah. The same thing over and over. Pot's you're good at that. Uh, 33%, too much. So about halfway through the day, it's going real well. Of course, I say, let's fuck it up. And I smoked <laughs> some of my 26% weed, and it was perfectly fine. Ah. I didn't smoke very much of it, but uh, everything was fine, and it stayed uh, it, it stayed uh, doable. And I was very, very grateful. And these, you know, these are the dangers. Drugs, kids. Yeah. Drugs, look out. Yeah, they make it hard to edit sometimes. <laughs> There's a scene in uh, with the doctor in uh, uh, that uh, the, the Exorcist, and she, she the mother uh, Ellen Burstyn is asking why why is the my daughter so fucked up and they're throwing out these silly ideas, and uh, she says why the math why is she so bad at math now, and he says oh what she's got affects her concentration. And instantly, right? This is this is the subliminal filmmaking of my favorite sort. 
Because instantly, three quarters of the people in the fucking theaters around America that watch this doctor say, oh, it affects her concentration. That's why she's bad at math. We know we're in the hands of fools. That she's going to get no help from this institution full of doctors and neckties because they're all wrong in their assumptions about the universe because a lot of us just can't do math. It's not about whether our concentration is affected or our home life is okay or whether we're on Ritalin. We just can't do math. But she couldn't do math because she was possessed by a demon. Can't do math. Some people can't do math. Are if, all if those possessed by, a demon, possessed by probably, demons? Are you possessed can. by demons? I tell you what, I did a lot of cocaine, you know, <laughs> and they say don't do that. Yeah, uh, that's true. They no, can. I'm not possessed by demons. <clears throat> I'm uh, just a uh, slow learner. I think, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, you laugh, but we we were not supposed to laugh at those slow learners. Sorry, right? sorry. This guy's in the lines. trailer. We didn't get a trailer. We got an actual. We were the mentally gifted miners, and we got an, we got a special room where, uh, you know, we had to do math and stuff. Oh, I wasn't laughing at the slow learner. You were part. laughing at the slow no, learner. I was we laughing at the part. sentence that you said, which, which was, "I'm not possessed <laughs> by demons. I'm just a slow learner, and I want that to be in some kind of horror movie somewhere." Look, you guys, you guys, I am not possessed by demons. I'm just a slow learner. Look at the room that this take this horrible dining room with this horrible fucking wallpaper. Yeah, it's really and her bad. hair. This whole room makes me itch. It looks sticky and gross. I don't like it. And I think what they're trying to go for is some sort of mid-level establishment. like like Because they're contrasting. Earlier, they were in these scummy back rooms and dive bars. And, and now they're in the middle part, I guess, where he's on his way up. I think... I don't know where the hell they shot this, obviously. But this room looks a lot like the now-closed Valley Inn and Oh, really? The one over uh, at the uh, at the junction of the four hundred five and the one hundred one. Yeah, that's is that place. closed now? I think it, it shut down during the lockdown. Ah. It couldn't survive the pandemic. But it's uh, I've been okay. there. Okay. Fun little martini bar. They make great martinis. The bartender yeah. was fun. But you go in the room, and we had dinner there because I like like old school type yeah. places like this, especially if they're not you know Updated. really top notch. Not like Morton's, like. Yep. These yep. kind of places, yep. Uh, where and the food's good, you know, it was good, uh, but it also like had the smell of elderliness, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, smelled just a little bit like old diapers or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. You ever been to Billingsley's? Uh huh, yeah, down, yeah, down on yeah. the west side, yeah, That's yeah, adorable. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's something about an old, uh, place that's an institution in its neighborhood and used to be something and the, the sort of down uh, yeah that's where I did dinner theater uh, in Stockton California it was uh, this the place that had had seen better days and it was now a diner where the Elks Club meets for its pancake breakfast in the back you know mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. a floor show or whatever the fuck it used to be <laughs> uh, so I moved in and did Mammoth and Albie in the I'm sure very badly uh, in the back room because well that was the place that said yes yeah sure but also I was very glad because it had that wonderful that charm of being just on its way out 
you know, mm -hmm. formerly something. The building I live in right now is kind of like that. It was clearly very nice. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of, uh, very middle middle class, but definitely not lower middle class mm -hmm. when it was built mm -hmm. fifty years ago. And now, uh, doesn't uh, Milton Merrill say in this scene? Control. Doesn't he openly admit to he, he his sex life is entirely with prostitutes? Uh, I can't remember that. I feel like he does. That would be uh, very typical of this kind of Russell Rouse writing. I love it. It's they scrape, you know, and and taste is a question, right? When you're scraping the bottom <laughs> to try to tell these stories, there is the you know the question will arise: the question of taste. And this movie doesn't have any. It just lacks all of that. But it has these wonderful little little gags here and there. But like to drop that casually in conversation. <laughs> And then I know I know what I know about Milton Berle, and that makes it doubly interesting. Well, there's got this enormous cock. He's got an enormous cock. Yeah. Think, you think somebody would be interested in that for free? Uh, I wonder if uh, what the late Gilbert Gottfried would have done for a look. Because you know he asked him. He says he asked him several times to show him his cock. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he says he never got one. Uh, now here's here's an interesting contrast. Here's Milton Berle and uh, Joseph Cotton. Uh, Joseph Cotton was the creepy uh, uh, friend of the husband who comes home on leave in uh, "Since You Went Away," this 1943 tearjerker, where every five minutes they're telling you to buy war bonds and reminding you to be nice to soldiers if you see them and so on in your fucking town. They're going to be annoying, put up with them kind of thing. <laughs> and Joseph Cotton is going to come home on leave and uh, drive his friend's wife out to the beach and park and look at her longingly and say, I wish I was a heel. Sometimes <laughs> I wish I was a heel. And then starts the car while uh, Claudette Colbert is going, fuck, Jesus, okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, and I, I guess the movie was about putting up with that, too. Joseph Cotton made a lot of shit movies. He went over to uh, Japan and made some shit, I, shit movies with I, them. I own at least two movies with Joseph Cotton, but I can't tell you what they are. Are they porn movies? Is that why? No. No, it's not that I can't tell you. I would tell you if I could figure out. I can see his name on a box. That's all I can see, though. I can't see the rest. of I mean, the he, box. he 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 got famous uh, working with Orson Welles. I can look it up on the and on uh, and then he you know he had a very decent career. He worked with Hitchcock. He was wonderful in a bunch of things. He's always got a little bit of a stick up his ass. He's just one of those guys. He can't really play something else. He's always a little bit erect, and he very easily plays creepy. And when he plays a good guy, it's wonderful because he's a little creepy. Mm -hmm. you know, so there's some depth to his characterizations. But my favorite movie of his is not a Hitchcock or a, an Orson Welles movie. It's uh, Latitude Zero, directed by uh, Ishiro Honda, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, if it's not Kinji Fukasaku, I, I get them confused a lot because they both make these crazy movies where giant monsters attack submarines. And I have a giant monster attack submarines collection and I, I i can't remember who directed that one but uh, uh in that movie I, I gotta bring that over sometime you won't believe it joseph cotton dresses in 
gold lame the whole time, and he exposes a lot of breast. Oh, he's in Citizen Kane. Okay. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. Uh, you have a copy of that? Gaslight. Fucking Gaslight. Yeah, he's the good guy in Gaslight, I think. That's what. That's Charles Boyer is the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then he's in uh, that one with uh, Teresa Wright, where he's her creepy psychopath serial killer uncle in uh, in Main Street, USA. I can't remember the name of that movie, uh, but it's awesome. Uh, Hume Cronin is wonderful in that. And yeah, he had a long, long, good career, and uh, and ended up like a lot of those actors from the '30s and '40s. He ended up Touch of Evil. I have that making these. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. He's in that. Who is he in that? Uh, he's he, oh, he's uncredited as the coroner. See, he's in all these. Orson Welles liked him to have him around because he's just a solid presence. I think, or maybe they were just friends. But he's in all these Orson Welles movies like that. Just to, like un- he's just showing up doing. Uh, favors for his I, pal? I, I think Uncredited? That, I think that he would do that for Orson Welles. Orson Welles was pretty spectacular. If it wasn't for Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, there'd be no Joseph Cotton. Yeah, right. You of know, course. So I, I think he probably was. Torah, Torah, Torah. There you go. Yeah. I almost watched that last night, but I started it. Oh, shit. I just got this. What? That's why. The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy in that, too, right? Yeah, and uh, I is he one of the people he kills? Uh, I think so, but I haven't rewatched it. I just got it. It just came out. Uh, yeah, from, uh, and the a guy I know who's a film historian does the commentaries on it. Okay, well, I was like, oh, I gotta get those, and I haven't seen those movies in forever. They're excellent. I I, I just rewatched them a couple of years ago with uh, with Corey. They were on one of these streaming channels. They're fucking excellent. They're they're, it, it, they're he's in Soylent Green. Uh, yes, he's the guy who gets murdered. See, at that point in the in the uh, late sixties, uh, early seventies, he was already at the point where he was the guy who showed up for one scene at the beginning, the big actor who gets killed and sets the plot in motion. He was already that guy. Airport seventy seven. I don't remember him in that, and I love that movie. He, he plays Nicholas Saint Downs the third. Oh, right, he's the one that plays cards with. Uh, the uh, the sister, not Joan Fontaine, but Olivia de Havilland. He's the they're old lovers, and they meet on the plane, and they start playing cards right away. Ah, uh, but yeah, he has uh, uh, he fights uh, underground uh, under yeah, well, he fights submarines. He fights uh, underwater mon- giant monsters. He fights Manda, I think, in that one, uh, and then he he fights uh, a griffin. Uh, uh, the the uh, Caesar Romero is the villain in that, and he in Latitude Zero, and he takes the head. Uh, no, he takes the the wings off a giant uh, condor or something, and sews them onto the body of a lion, and sets it loose, and then makes it gigantic, and they attack uh, the uh, submarine that, that's run by Joseph Cotton, but he wins. Hmm. All right, this is when uh, he's off on the setup date, so people right. see him. Right, he's he's now getting groomed to be a, a movie star. He's being groomed? Oh, no! <laughs> no, it's like Disney's involved. Uh, there's, there's something uh, essentially synthetic about these, you know, about his career, and about we, we're, we spend most of the time in this movie backstage or uh, 
you know, in the rehearsal room or uh, watching. And look at how closely he's watching her do the act, right? He's studying uh, her talking to reporters so that he too can be glib and charming talking to reporters. Uh, and he's... Uh, ah, he's so charming. I love him. While being insulting, yeah. Yeah, he... Uh, and I, I don't I don't think I mentioned on this version of the podcast that he uh, died in Northridge, just uh, just a few miles away from here, playing golf at a country club that I don't think exists anymore. There's no golf course in Northridge, is there? Uh, Porter. It was called the Porter, uh, but not Porter Ranch. It was called. The, yeah, I was just going to say there's something. the Porter Ranch Country Club, which has a golf uh, course, and there's a golf course. Down at Lake Balboa. Well, I got, uh, but I guess that's not Northridge. No, no, the one at Lake Balboa is right near me. And but half the time they say shit is Northridge and it's not. Like the well, Northridge ex- earth- earthquake exactly. was really the Reseda earthquake. Yeah, yeah. So maybe the Lake Balboa uh, 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 golf course is the one. It's possible they said Porter, but it, it hardly matters. Oh, look, it's Jack Sue. Love him. I, I don't know anything about golfing, and there's always like weird golf courses that I don't know anything about. Somehow. Well, they hide them. They specifically, yeah. purposely hide them from the peons like me. It's it's interesting that you can hide a golf course. Uh, they they use fences, trees, walls. Uh, you know that one that's down on uh, down by the uh, Ravenswood uh, apartments. Uh, in central, well, it's just south of Hollywood, and it's a uh, uh, it's a major golf uh, versus the 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 one that uh, the Jews started, uh, where I shot the golf club commercial, uh, which is down south, which is open and you can see it from the streets. There's one there's one in Hollywood that uh, was very exclusive and wouldn't let in anybody. You mean it's like it's over. Uh, is uh, it by uh, uh, like south of Melrose down like yeah. that country club? Because yeah. I know there's a golf course in there, and I remember <laughs> Hillary telling me a story when she was a kid, and you know her dad was the variety TV director, right? Uh, and was invited to join that country club, right? And when he got there, he found out it was restricted. Right. Uh, and given who he was married to, he was like, I, I don't think I belong that's in this the club. One, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them were restricted. But uh, uh, but I, it's just weird because, yeah, I guess that was the, that was the joke in Caddyshack, right? I, the, don't tell him you're a Jew. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. I think this club is restricted. Yeah. Like, it's amazing that it was still in the 80s a thing. Uh, yes, it is. And in the, in the fifties and sixties, the, a bunch of Jewish, uh, film executives, uh, mostly started their own country club because they, they, they couldn't they, get yeah. the other one. And I can't remember what they're all called. There's the Wilshire country club. There's the, you know, there's Hollywood. I, I don't remember which is which. I just remember every time I pass, uh, the fuck is that street down there near, uh, it's that street I always find myself on when I take some other street south through Hollywood, and then suddenly I'm next to the Ravenswood. 
And then there's a big green fence, and the fence uh, uh, has nice, tasteful shrubbery around it. And it's so muted, you don't really notice it, except yeah. it's an entire block. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And uh, anyway, Jesus Christ, who gave me a podcast? What's wrong with this? <laughs> the colors in this are so astonishing. That's what I think that's one of these things that I like about this era of film. Mm-hmm. It, Trashy or not is the color. They look trash. Yeah, they're so so. By this time, nineteen sixty six, they've had a decade of widescreen Technicolor to play with. Right? Yeah, they figured out how to light it. They figured out what to do, and these are their choices. That's Hedda Hopper, the real Hedda Hopper, wearing a fucking dress that looks like vomit. It looks like <laughs> brandy vomit. It's just foul brandy and spaghetti sauce. And that's what they chose. And there's this period from the mid-60s through about 1970-71 where all the design choices are, are tinged in gold. They all have a lot of sequins and flashy shit, and they're as trashy as possible. Everything went to shit. I don't know what happened. Because in the early 60s, everything's mod and Brooks Brothers, and it looks so clean, and the lines are straight. And something happened. Something weird happened. Yeah. And all the design... like. Uh, Star Trek is astonishing that it doesn't look like that. Like mm-hmm. that, it, that it retained the purity of its like fifties, you know, early sixties primary colors and and no real over gaudy. Everything gets gaudy yeah. in the late sixties. Sixty nine, I have, I believe, sixty nine is the apex of that. There's nothing that was made in nineteen sixty nine that's trying to be glamorous or, or, or fancy. Nothing looks good. Everything looks terrible. You know what looked good in 69? It was fucking Midnight Cowboy. Yes. Yeah, these dirty things. They, they captured that just fine. Yeah. But yeah, all these fancy... Like, I just watched the other day the first French Connection. And, uh, you know, those dirty streets are astonishing. And then uh, after you get the little bit of dirty streets at the beginning, they go to this nightclub. And it is the... Clearly, it's a fairly sophisto, you know, fancy, upscale place. And it's... Gaudy as hell, filthy, <laughs> ugly. All these choices are wrong. It's just terrible. The, the, he's getting real close to that. Yeah, lady. he's uh, he's got Elke in a headlock there. And uh, her date doesn't like it. When I first watched this the other day, I was sort of like imagining it as the the, the Mel Gibson story. Yeah, I don't know why. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> like, I just imagined. Yeah, I can see Mel Gibson because he's he's a handsome imp, and uh-huh. he seems kind of dangerous. And yeah. the ladies yeah. uh, like him, yeah. and I can see him being a total uh, jerk, uh, fucking people over, and dumping salads on ladies. Oh for my sure. goodness! Well, you know what's interesting is they matched color. You know, there it goes. The salad goes with her dress. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they made these decisions consciously. That was an accessory, a fashion it accessory. Sure was. It wasn't. She, an she wore it uh, to the next party. <laughs> yeah, Frankie Fane. Uh, there's something gross, right? Uh, and I love the fact that they cast this guy, who usually plays upright and true. You know, solid citizens, very institutionalized and you know, very straight. And uh, and he's a perfect cunt. He's <laughs> just wonderful as a, as a villainous, uh, take no prisoners. His voice, you know, he's got that wonderful, soft 
Uh, Russell Rouse, who who and, and Clarence Green, somebody Green, who uh, uh, who did this movie, they also did Wicked Woman, which we liked so much. Oh yeah, uh, that was a good one. Uh, they, they specialized in these tawdry, sleazy stories of uh, the bad people, and they also did. They have a story credit or a script credit right before this for Pillow Talk. Yeah. Which is kind of the opposite. Yeah, that's weird. You know, this uh, traditional, uh, you know, the soft core, very Doris Day type deal. So, yeah, they were going great. And then this apparently ended their careers. They, they did one more thing after this with uh, Stephen Boyd in it called The Caper of the Golden Bulls, which I have tried to watch several times unsuccessfully. Really bad. Really bad. They didn't write it this time. It's they they wrote, they directed and produced it, and it's uh, boy, it's hard to get into it. And I am a fan of these fifties and sixties hunks. the The movies that surround them tend to be melodramatic in a way that I find interesting. I like the aesthetics. I like uh, uh, I like the clothes. And I like hunks. I'm attracted to these big, soft-spoken leading men that they got after World War II. Yeah. Uh, these hunky types. And in, in Wicked Woman, it's Richard Egan. And Richard Egan is, is uh, the epitome of this kind of guy. He would break Stephen Boyd in half. He's a <laughs> judo instructor in the Marines, uh, army, hand-to-hand combat, knife instructor. Uh, the neck, you know, bigger than uh, your thigh. And, and again, very soft-spoken, very handsome, very proper. Uh, love these guys. Yeah. And after this period of time, their careers vaporized. Because this movie tanked, and then they got another movie, and that, that, tanked. that tanked. But also, I mean these leading men of the, of the Stephen Boyd type. Uh, he was auditioning to, to be in The Wild Geese. When he had a heart attack, he was going to play the tough guy sergeant that whipped them all into shape. Oh you know? wow, yeah! Like that's a real, that's a that's several steps down from the stuff he was used to ten years earlier, like this. Right. Uh, and just a couple of years earlier than this was Ben Hur, and it was a pretty obvious trajectory. And this type of soft-spoken, brill cream hair leading man just went out. Out like the Fox searchlight every three years, you know. Just fucking gone. They didn't want him. Richard Egan couldn't get a TV commercial. Uh, the, who did they want instead? Well, I mean, who got hot? You know, these these kind of counterculture types. I mean, right around 69, you got Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda in one of the most successful movies of the year. These guys that didn't take a bath. Right. You know? Uh... Yeah, and then you then there's the Hoffmans and the Pacinos and all that. Yeah, they all of a sudden didn't look like tall white guys, you know, a lot. I mean, Warren Beatty stuck around. Warren Beatty was successful. He produced his own shit. And he was a lot better, more charming performer uh, with a lot more range than a lot of these guys. And, yeah, you had to start getting good, you know. Yeah. 60s and 70s were about exploring the inner life a little bit more on camera. I watched The Godfather the other day. Jesus fucking Christ. These guys went to... A lot of them seem to have gone to the same school. You know, they're just into the same... They're, they're, they're on a page. They're all you in the that, same movie. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, like, those were the, like... <laughs> the, like, 70s 
well, I mean, Brando method. Yeah, people. they all came out of Stella Adler and uh, uh, you know that the, the, the that whole school, and you know they fight amongst themselves. Stella Adler doesn't like uh, Lee Strasberg and so on, and they all fought with each other. But Pacino was uh, was a uh, um, Stella Adler uh, person, and fucking Lee Strasberg ended up being in the second one. So yeah, there was a there was a, a general same universe sort of background to a lot of the a lot of the younger actors in that and uh, and yeah they all kind of turned in these Brando type introspective uh, non you know I mean, look at the, every time uh, this actor uh, Stephen Boyd uh, got his chops at the Abbey Theatre in, in, in Ireland so he was working with you know Beckett and people who made real demands on him but in movies he always plays the same guy this erect, straight, plummy, you know, voice. He's, he's got this perfect diction. You know, old school actor. And that stuff just went out. Yeah. Like the idea that you would carry on, carry uh, habits from one character to the next, you know, started to seem passe and really gross <laughs> to a lot of these younger actors who, but, you know, look what happened to Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. They started almost immediately, you know. As soon as they got some success... All their characters started to look alike. Yeah, the, the problem in Pacino's case is that character is ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, you're having fun, huh? <laughs> you know how much they're paying me? <laughs> no, no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something that's... Uh, Oh my God! And this this after sex scene with her, I love the look on her face. She's so so horrified with herself. Oh, I yeah, but like she like slept with him, knowing that this was gonna happen. knowing that she was gonna hate herself for it, and now she hates herself and and has to deliver lines like I'm not some sort of garbage can you can slam the lid on. Ah. <sighs> Wrapped in sheets. Wrapped in sheets with her bare lying feet sticking down. out. Lying down because she can't get up because it's too embarrassing. <laughs> it's too embarrassing to be there with him. He's such a scumbag. And look at her bringing it. Yeah. Like, like the, everybody in this gets a chance to overact a little bit. You know, <laughs> and some of them rein it in. Clearly, uh, the director was, was, was happy if you just got excited. Yeah. And some of them maintain it this uh, I'm not quite sure who this actress is I should know kind of reminds me of the Northman actually <laughs> everybody you're going to ruin this for me except that I already know that Eggers directed it so it's already ruined for me <laughs> everybody's uh, chewing scenery man that's yeah. that's the name of the game of uh, the Northman um, if you enjoy that sort of do you like Viking you know barbarian Viking type shows more than almost anything. If they do it right, boy, I'm excited. Well, I you might like. There's a lot to like about this. It's cool looking, you know. That's always the, great. The, the world building is certainly on point. Uh, it's definitely, you know, it seems very well researched, uh, um, you know, and it's gory and. Uh, it sounds perfect. It's it's more entertaining than those other Eggers movies. I'll, I'll say that. But at the That's same great. time, I feel like it's being wildly overrated because it is it is ultimately kind of silly. Yeah, you know what I mean. 
Well, yeah, that was my problem with The Lighthouse. This is a movie about uh, cabin fever. That's all. Yeah. It's a movie about two guys who can't quite handle it, and both of them uh, freak out a little bit, but one of them's a professional freaker outer. And maybe he talks to mermaids. He probably doesn't. <laughs> the, the end. You know, I thought The Witch was a much more honest movie. You know, with, yeah. uh, after, after the first kind of scare, you actually see this naked old lady grinding a baby into jelly. Well, that's okay. I know where we are. And it, and it more or less stays at that level for the rest of the time. And it scares me. And then at the end, it kind of meanders and I don't give a fuck and whatever. Uh, I thought it was too long. Yeah. I, I'd like you did. But, boy, almost all the way toward the end, I was enjoying these moments. Fucking the lighthouse, I was bored within 10 minutes. It's very repetitive. Very repetitive. But this is like, unlike his other movies, which are these slow burn, mm -hmm. you know, kind of character pieces, you know, this is like a, a, you know, your basic narrative. It's a basic, it's fucking Hamlet, you know. Well, also. So the stories. narrative does move along. I feel like I came down. really, really late to this epiphany, but. The default story is Hamlet, like for all storytelling. Yeah. It, it, Hamlet is basically the, the first one, the elemental one. You got to kill your dad. Mm -hmm. You got to move forward. You know, in order to move forward, you got to kill the existing power structure. And you got to worry about that because then you become the power structure. Right. That's it. That's like, I feel like that's the OG story because I started to recognize it in movie after movie after movie after movie after movie, play after play, novel after novel. These are all Hamlet, I would say. And then I thought, okay, I just get Hamlet on the brain. But uh, that's what I think. I think well, I mean, this is, I mean, to me, for, for my money, this one's overtly Hamlet. Um, you know, it, it, I, it, I, did his uncle fuck his mother? Uh, yes. Well, then it's Hamlet. <clears throat> Um, and then Peter Lawford is so embarrassed to be in this movie. Peter Lawford, I'm sorry, I'm so yeah, sorry. That's all right. Peter Lawford was one of the Rat Pack, right? Yeah, Peter yeah. La and then he got, uh, and he's the one because he was cousins or something with Jackie Kennedy, something, something, and he got Sinatra uh, audience with Kennedy, and so Kennedy, Sinatra became a Kennedy guy specifically because of Peter Lawford. So Kennedy wins the election in what, 1960 mm -hmm. or something? And uh, then suddenly uh, Peter Lawford is persona non grata. Uh, 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 Sinatra is, sorry, is persona non grata because he's a gangster. He's got gangster friends who helped, you know, uh, Kennedy win. And all of a sudden he's not talking to those guys anymore for obvious reasons. And they're shut out. And as a result, Peter Lawford was shut out of the Rat Pack. And he's on his way to drinking himself to death in this movie when he made this. Mm. And I find that kind of thing much more interesting, usually, than the, the things. That, when you're in a skid movie and you're a skidder, mm -hmm. boy, the richness of these performances. I think Peter Lawford is really, really good in this uh, because his life is basically over. And that's kind of the character he plays. Mm. Sorry. That's all right. So the movie is Hamlet, the uh, the Northman, but you enjoyed it uh, because I of did. The Although you know, as far as you know, uh, reworkings of Hamlet are concerned, <laughs> this is no strange brew. <laughs> I can't even remember the plot of Strange Brew. It's Hamlet, except Bob and Doug are 
Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you Jesus, it's been a long there, time. There, there's a, there's an uncle uh, having sex with it. it. It's all there. It's all wow. What? Well, I mean, granted, Hamlet doesn't have a flying dog and an obsession with well, donuts, d- but you know, depends on the production. <laughs> I mean, all that stuff is between the lines, really. <laughs> The, okay, so in terms of taste, right? How many objects in this shot are gold? Uh, are, are gold? You know, are, are, are gilded in some way? Uh, well, there's one. There's like an ice bucket right, right there. There's the there's side a, of the, the chairs. There's there's uh, the doorknobs are gold. The uh, uh, there's all this shit on the table. It's gold. The, the plant. Room, yeah, is that a room service table or a bar or something it's, in the background? It's hard to tell. I think this is his house. Uh, and then, plus, on top of that, there's a guy in nothing but shorts at the table. Yeah. In the center of the shot, uh, who obviously works out. And so, take it easy. Listen to Cappy. Fucking uh, everything Tony Bennett does in this picture is so sad. <laughs> he's just such a sad character, and he's not doing a good job as an actor, so that's even more sad. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of uh, the other actor in the scene who they're never cutting to? Uh, Jack Sue. Jack Sue. Yeah. And Jack Sue was on Barney Miller, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, and he used to show up in little things in the 70s and 80s, uh, but he never got any, you know, Asian guy. There's no work for you. He didn't have anything. I feel like he was one of the police captains in Magnum P.I., Ah, who and maybe he passed away, and then somebody else took his place. But I could be wrong about that because he did he did die, and then that's how we got fish, right? Isn't that what happened on Barney Miller? Didn't Jack Sue die, and then he was replaced by uh, Oh Abe Vigoda? Abe Vigoda? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could be totally wrong. No, that kind of tracks. I think he was funny on Barney Miller. He's great. It's a dry ass, uh, very dry ass. Yeah, I bet delivery. you he's good at improv, you know, because he has that sense of timing and, uh, yeah, he's always, always understated. Jesus Christ, I'm going to show you my forearm in this shot and then later my bicep. Did you see Elkie's legs? I want you to see Elkie's legs. Okay, <laughs> gold, 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 gold. Gold phone. Gold. There's a gold, and all these, just a gold. What is that, a frame <laughs> in the back? It's hard to tell. No, uh, it's a frame. It's oh, like, it's a giant multi-frame. Yeah, just, it's like one of those things stick. you get at Target with all the different <laughs> exactly holes Exactly, so it. you can put a picture of but each. But that one's made each of Each one of your kids. <laughs> oh, shit. We went to uh, Spain or Mexico. Oh, but, right. We go to a bullfighting thing. I forgot about I this. I forgot about this, so This too. is a trigger for me. I don't like this. No, I don't like bullfights at all. Uh, did you, Okay. Do you know the one where uh, Pierce Brosnan plays uh, an the assassin, Matador, right? There's a there's a shot in that where the bull jumps, and it's the best shot of a bull jumping I've ever seen. This bull looks like the shark in Jaws. It looks like way too big, way too scary, way too healthy. And uh, other than that, I don't like bullfights. In a Hemingway book that I really like, when he starts talking about bullfights, it's it's such a tell. You know, <laughs> this is one of the reasons I never finish my novels is because Jesus Christ, they're full of these tells. It's, I'm so embarrassed, you know, to be there. Uh, this movie is packed with Oscar winners, too. They gave Ernest Borgnine, you know, one scene. They give they give all these people with Oscars. Uh, this scene, this is the first scene that Borgnine shows up in. Yeah. And he plays Starstruck. 
And it's really pretty good. He was an again, he's one of these guys that when he got older, they all got the same. He started as a good actor. Yeah. But like this but you have no idea where this this character's storyline is going at yeah. this point. He just seems like a starstruck and you're like, how the fuck they throw Borgnine in this movie just to be starstruck? Because uh, nobody else can could handle playing that. It's I, I'm telling you, uh, it, apparently the production was uh, was very intent on making parts, uh, making you know just we need more Oscar winners in this, so it's a big glamorous production about the Oscars. Yeah, even though it's not really about the Oscars, it's got this bookend thing, you know, at the beginning. Yeah, it's not about the Oscars at all. No. Uh, it, but it becomes so much of, and, and, you know, I agree with you. It's, it's boring in the middle because there's no story. We got actors showing up just, yeah, just you're, so, you're at a bullfight yeah. and Borgnine shows up and you're like, what the fuck? Oh, look, a dying bull and he's got blood all over him. How, and, and, and this seems like a reasonable thing, you know, to put in a movie. At to applaud. Yay. Yeah, the bull's been great. slaughtered. It's terrific. So what? I don't remember it. Does, uh, oh, they're getting a divorce. Yeah, they're getting a... Nice a, Mexican divorce. That's great. And they're super happy about it. It's yeah, super they love weird. each other. Super weird. It's a great bit. It's a great goofy... It, you know what it's like? It's like one of those laugh-in uh, sketches. <laughs> you know, the goofiness was big at this time. But wait, are you saying Borgnine turns into something else in this picture? Does he have... I, I don't remember... Well, he doesn't turn into something else, but it it starts with he's like this jovial, ludicrous character who's getting a happy divorce, uh, who's starstruck by this movie guy and wants to hang out with him. You know, it just seems pretty clear, but he's a private eye. And then he Uh, gets hired and he gets involved in the the machinations of trying to fuck over the other Oscar nominees. And then he starts uh, uh, blackmailing. Uh, uh, what's his face? Oh, that's terrible. And uh, he turns out to be a real sleazeball, and she's a piece of work too. This, this uh, wifey here with the the giant hair. Uh, oh, that's some ass. See, there's the taste factor again. And I guess they thought they could get away with showing this lady's ass just shaking in a close up, so we could tell we were in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> there's something. Uh, oh my God. Watching Borgnine dance. It's so violent. It's so violent. It looks like they're going to hurt themselves or somebody else. This is, uh, the, the dance is very much his character from uh, uh, Escape from New York. It really is. Like super spazzy. It really is. He's working on it. Have you ever seen a red disco ball before? No. I think this might be my first red disco ball. Big, too. Yeah. Bigger than standard. Scary. Who is she? I uh, I don't should know. know. I, I like I, her. She's I like delightful. these mid '60s things so much, but I don't really, I don't really have any memory. There's a uh, yeah. There's so much bad design in this. There's so much awkwardness and bad feng shui in a lot of these shots. And again, I think it's a '60s design choice a lot of that shit looked like that yeah and uh i don't know you know you you wonder how we get into these things how do these things start whose decide whose decision was it uh that we all look like shit 
for a long time. <laughs> you ever notice that in the late 60s and early 70s, all the women are wearing too much eye makeup, and they, uh, they often look sweaty in, yes. in, in the TV shows. You look at an old episode of Mannix or something, or Hawaii Five-O, all the women are overly made up and sweaty, like it's the morning after some disco party that they had. And I, I, who fucking made that call? Well, maybe it's because uh, they're in so much makeup and hair and all this shit that, and under the lights, it's really hot, so they get okay, sweaty. Okay, well, that's the obvious uh, answer, right? I mean, sure. But what the fuck? People don't didn't look like that in the forties, and they don't look like that now. I don't know. Was maybe it, the people, maybe sweaty ladies were in. I don't know. <laughs> I like a sweaty lady <laughs> here and there, but I, I, I don't know if it's necessary all the time. It's not the only way to present a lady. No, no, I'm not saying it's the only way, but, you know, there are trends. Absolutely. Uh, they're they're yeah, often right. reflected in the films. Very, very true. Like now the trend is uh, the children of famous people. <laughs> yeah, that is a popular trend, I've noticed. Who's this guy who's annoying me in this new horror movie franchise entry? Oh, he's the son of those two. Okay. Ah, sweet. Yeah, apparently the Sinatras are supposed to show up in this at some point. At the end. Spoiler uh, alert. Oh, thank you. I don't remember them at all. They're only, it's a cameo at the end because uh, Frank Sinatra is one of the nominees for Best Picture okay. or Best Actor. That he's up against this guy. I, I gotta go pee. I'll be that's right Edie Adams. God damn it! See, I should have known that. That what's she Bo- from? Borgnine's ex-wife. She's from the uh, from from early TV. She was on the Ernie Kovacs show, uh, and she was very uh, very funny then, and she was very funny forever. Ernie Kovacs, sadly, no longer funny, as uh, he is dead. Well, some people are still funny when they're dead. Uh, Ernie Kovacs is not. You know who else isn't funny after he's dead is uh, Louis Prima, because it was so awful. And uh, and uh, his girlfriend uh, Keely Keely Smith had to take care of him while he was hooked to a machine forever, uh, trying to die, uh, is my understanding. And th- that's not funny at all. That's an awful story. And I'm sorry I brought it up. At some point. Todd will be back for pissing, and he'll tell an actually <laughs> funny story. No, not, not a story about Louis Prima taking a long time to die. That's too much how pressure. Sad man. it is. Too much pressure. If you can, That's tell why I a quit story. stand-up? I don't like the pressure of having to be funny. It's oh, a lot of pressure. I fucking like it. It's a lot of pressure. Like when you announce, it's like announcing that you're good at fighting. Then you have to be good at fighting. Yes, so if it you is. say, I'm a that's stand-up exactly comedy. That's what it is. I'm a stand-up comic. That's what you have to deliver. That's what it is. Unless you're Bill Maher. Uh, and then all you have to do is uh, talk for an hour. Uh, no, there's a lot of guys at that point in their... In their uh, once you get over a certain age and a certain number of people already like you... You don't have to uh, work as hard. Yeah, they they, they don't do the work. Fucking, they're all asleep. That's oh, there's true. another lady laid over the bed. That I is true. Asleep. It's like if a comic hat winds up having... See, I feel like so many of the comics... If you've had a TV show... They, like, died too soon or something? Mm. I don't know what it is, but it's like... Like, now it seems like there's that. But I don't feel uh, like Richard Pryor had that. Uh, like or even Carlin didn't really have this no. like, cult of sycophants that made him lazy. No, 
he's he kept fucking doing it until he died. Uh, the, the same way that he was bringing it. I mean, there are actors and, and performers who, who do one or the other, you know? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, but, but yeah, okay. I, I just feel like that that phenomena, like of the hour special yeah. that somebody just had, is contractually it, yeah. uh, and they yeah. walk through it. Is more commonplace than it, than it, maybe it used to be. Maybe so. But maybe so. but I, maybe that's a content thing because there's fucking so many hours. Oh my god, <laughs> so many comedy. Yeah, you know, I, I was watching online. Somebody was bitching yesterday about how uh, their kid thinks that a friend of mine was saying his kid thinks that you know the movie being in color and having CGI in it. Uh, automatically makes it a better movie a more watchable movie than you know something black and white obviously oh sure yeah something older you know uh and the whole complaint started with somebody saying that they looked at a list online which already you're writing a blog post because you saw something online that was stupid (laughs) so you contributed you know and you wrote 800 words on this fucking stupidity (laughs) so that you could feel better Look at that wild turkey promo right there. Yeah, they, they set that up. Push that. It's like this uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, <laughs> does everybody need to offer some dumb take? Who cares? Yeah, it's not. It's fucking, fucking Twitter. Fucking the thing. the people who own it now are no good. I know it's a public company, but you know, it's well, not. It's when uh, people don't like change. Essentially, nobody nobody likes the idea that. There's a process going on, and it's different from the process that used to go on. Mm-hmm. And you know it, and you don't like it. <laughs> and so you just bitch about it all the time. I do it constantly. Yeah, that's true. But I tried to remember. You know, I watched the new uh, the new HBO Batman, the straight to HBO Batman movie, mm-hmm. the almost straight to HBO. Robert Pattinson is somebody I'm trying to like. I've seen him not be bad in several things, you know. I think he's really an actor who who's trying to be an actor. Like him, want to like him. Mm-hmm. The emo shit didn't bother me. You, you saw this thing, the Batman. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Batman, and it was uh, my take on it is it's the movie Seven with an extra hour for Batman. Nice. Uh, my take is that it's lit. And this was already my take, so I'm not stealing this. It's uh, it's got the lighting from Seven. Mm-hmm. It's got the plot from Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises. Ah. And it's got nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> and it's super boring. And, it, and it's got an extra hour also from The Dark Knight Rises, I guess. Well, somebody said that. They said that... The, extra the, hour the, from the, Batman. The interesting, That's funny. If you, I'm yeah. sorry. But somebody said that when they were... I can't remember who said it, but they were like, this movie is about this thing. It's about the Riddler doing this this game. and bit, But like ultimately, if Batman wasn't in the movie, uh-huh. you'd still have the movie. Yeah. So that's what's weird about the Batman. The more I've noticed this, uh, I started noticing this with indie movies in the 90s, but now it's true of everything. The more a character stares, mm-hmm. right, like alone, like you do the you do the soliloquizing of the stare, right? Mm-hmm. Often it's out a window. If it's in an indie movie, it's out a window. <laughs> if it's in a big budget movie, it's really well lighted and they're sitting in an interior or an amazing exterior, but they're just staring and there's no particular, you know, point to their staring they're just 
gazing off. Emo type in this one, you know, he stares at a candle or some fucking shit. <laughs> it's fine, you know, but the more of that staring there is, uh, yeah. uh, the, wait, I had an actual uh, ratio. The, the, the more staring there is, the less uh, necessary the character is absolutely uh-huh. Uh-huh. so we, we get a lot of primary characters a lot of protagonists in indie movies in the 90s who have that same exact uh, thing you just said they, they walk through these movies and they're not actually the protagonist of the movie like often it's the camera or it's the director <laughs> or something you know it's the writing maybe but almost never it's the writing and they just walk through these events that happen around them and they don't have to make any decisions about them they just stare at them uh-huh. And then they then they go off and think about it and stare some more, and yeah, the less necessary this character is, the more you wonder why it's called Batman. <laughs> it isn't Batman. And so it occurred to me before I get upset about this, uh, you got to think. You know, there were Batman serials in the forties, two of them, two different ones, uh-huh. and then they had the TV show. It, and the kids in the forties could argue with their parents about whether Johnny Weissmuller or Buster Crab or Elmo Lincoln was the best Tarzan. And there's probably a hundred hours of Tarzan footage yeah, from, yeah. from the 30s and 40s, uh, and then these other guys took over. Uh, you know, Buster Crab played Tarzan, Flash Gordon, and fucking uh, Buck Rogers. Wow! You know, in his career, plus a bunch of other repeat characters. And these are all movie serials. There are three or four, you know, five, six, eight hours of shit. As long as they could stretch them out, and it's the same fucking story every week. Right. Oh, Flash got caught. He's tied up. Will he escape? Oh, uh, Dale got caught. She's tied up. Will she escape? <laughs> Fucking over and over. Oh, Chim Chim. Oh, Spritle. You know, and it's just never-ending boredom. He's just repetitious. <laughs> How many hours did Roy Rogers spend boring children? You know, it's the same adventure every week. Hopalong Cassidy has more movies than any other human, I think. Yeah? There's like hundreds and hundreds of hours of Hopalong Cassidy because uh, uh, there weren't so much serials. There were actual, you know, hour and 20-minute movies over and over. It was the same fucking movie every time. Yeah. Oh, the rustlers. Oh, the bad guy. Oh, the land baron. Oh, the thing. And you got to get a bunch of guys on horses. Yeah. And spend most of your time riding over there. And he's over there, and they ride over there. Well, he ran away, and they ride somewhere else. These movies suck. They're just on basic, elemental levels. These are terrible entertainments. You just kind of described, you know, if you switch out horses and cars, the Fast and the Furious franchise. And the the, the latest Mad Max entry, you know, you drive over here, you drive over there. <laughs> that was literally... Literally. I and, and not only that, it's the same road. You just turn around. Yeah, it was the same road the same twice. fucking way. <laughs> oh, more wild turkey, or has he got something else going on? So, there's... Uh, you know, there's a uh, "twas ever thus" element to my complaints about modern films and how mm-hmm. shitty they are. Uh, it's very important to remember that in the '30s, you know, if I if I complain, oh shit, nobody's watching those movies from the '30s; they will disappear. Clearly, I'm watching them. Yeah, clearly they haven't disappeared. They got their own channel, and it's shit from a lot of it, fucking close to a hundred years ago, and they got their own channel. Yes. On Turner, you know? What do you want? It's the 100-year-old fucking show channel. I mean, it's 100 years old, and we're still offering it for public consumption. That means it's not gone completely away. And guess how many good movies came out of the 30s? I don't know, 100? 
out of the thousands and thousands. How many good movies came out of the 40s? Out of the hundreds of fucking thousands of movies that have been made since, since uh, you know, movies got sound in the late 20s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fuck, man. There's a handful of good ones. Just like now. So I, I, I don't know. Are you you're referring to this like Spielbergian panic of to the the streaming world is we're losing too many old titles that I hear people talk about that. What does that mean, losing old titles? Well, like the, you know, because the physical media, right? Fucking the physical media is right. not, or whatever. They're just we're our history, our film history. We're losing the movies. They're no longer there. So people aren't seeing them, so they won't continue to be, you know, history, I guess. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about, because YouTube is packed with DVDs uh, that you can watch for free on these random fucking militant... I don't know who runs these channels, but there are always... Doesn't they get shut down regularly? But I got four right now that are all from this... I won't say. I don't want it to get shut down. But they're out there. You know, look for old movies. Yeah, think, no. think, think of your favorite old movie. Fucking type it into YouTube and look what happens. Well, uh, a lot of the ones that I wind up having to see for various shows and whatnot, uh-huh. I wind up finding on YouTube if they're not anywhere else. And but it, sometimes that's not the case. You can't. No, sometimes you can't. I, I, I had to order a physical copy of Action USA, Jason. And I got to tell you, uh, as shitty as that movie looks, and as expensive, I'm sure, as, as, as the gesture was to purchase it so you can pitch about it on some podcast, I got to say, it's available. And my suspicion is that what uh, Spielberg is complaining about is the inability to monetize streaming sometimes. And, oh, maybe, and that, yeah. that uh, as long as you have a hard copy, he's getting his cut. Yeah. And when you don't, you don't necessarily. Because, yeah, the the giving away of old movies on YouTube, I find astonishing. Yeah. I've got four channels with at least 60 movies I've never seen. And I'm a fucking old movie aficionado. Uh, you know, there's all this shit. The Betty Davis movies and fucking Claude Rains movies and... Uh, all these comedies with Bob Hope I'm never going to watch, but there's a million things out there, and they're certainly available for purchase. Uh, they're not on TV for free like they used to be when we were kids. You know, you got to pay for those services now. Yeah. But you basically had to pay for them then anyway. TV used to be a big chunk of your income. Just buying the fucking thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everything changes. We we'll move on. <laughs> I'm glad to move on. I love. Oh, look how worried he is. He's fucking biting his thumb. All oh, the acting goes so strong, so extreme. Look how worried he is. He is. Oh my god. Yeah, and he uh, worked with the masters over there in Ireland. Is the story. And uh, wow, poor Elkie. Yeah, you know, Edith Head did the uh, costumes for this, and she's actually in it, apparently. Uh, I've never paid enough attention to notice who she is, I guess. But uh, this is the tawdriest, most gaudy and lurid and grotesque set of costumes that you're going to find in a movie with a straight face. Yeah. Like, this looks like the costumes from... Uh, Austin Powers movie. <laughs> this movie does look like an this Austin is the Powers kind. Movie. This is the kind of thing he was making fun of specifically, yeah. uh, design wise, in those pictures. That mid sixties sort of, uh, and the way the British did it a lot was, 
Yeah, because the British can certainly be uh, grotesque and, uh, and and they have a lot of bad taste. Uh, sometimes, you know, they turned out Benny Hill. But, <laughs> but uh, a lot of their 60s... I just watched the, the Netflix documentary about Jimmy Savile. Oh, God, I can't bring my bring myself uh, to say Jimmy Savile. Uh, I have to say Savile. Seville. Is it Savile? No, but that's Seville. what Norm MacDonald, every time he got an English guest on his fucking stupid podcast <laughs> show, he would go, what's with Jimmy Savile? <laughs> <laughs> he would demand it, and they wouldn't know what the fuck he was talking about for the longest time. He'd go, Jimmy Savile, he was... He raped children. It was the worst thing. And it happened on your watch. You're English. And they would have no fucking idea what he was talking about. Because this, you know, this happened a while ago. It, 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 it's a fascinating two-part documentary, man. Okay. What's it, it because uh, Netflix. Because okay. I did not... I didn't know. I, I don't. I, I forgot just, about. I guess it was because of this, but I just. Read now that you say that, I remember him doing that, but I didn't know who the fuck he was talking about because he always, you know, would yeah. say random stuff. Yes, he's very. Uh, random. You know, like he always referenced that like Canadian cannibal serial killer, which was, I guess, a. <laughs> It's a real fucking thing. It's a real thing. (laughs) To tell the whole sordid, awful, grotesque story and say, that guy was a real jerk. Terrible person. (laughs) He's a jerk. Uh, (laughs) But seeing the documentary was really interesting because I didn't know. I was like, what the fuck is this? And the first half is really talking to you about how he became this guy, this beloved... Right, dude, and and he seems to have been kind of, as far as I can tell, just kind of a celebrity for celebrity's sake. He he, he was a DJ, and, yeah, and he was a host of things, yeah. That but, was, but it. he but he wasn't like an actor or a musician or didn't have some particular. No, talent. it was just personality, and he yeah. did you know, and he he played to you know he was like this charity guy. Yeah, it was yeah, all about was, yeah. raising money for charity. But then he would go rape the people in the beds in the hospital that he was raising money for. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Like yeah. literally like Well, you know, and when you get to the second part, that's when you learn like he, you know, like got rooms at like mental institutions where the where he'd raised money and he would just hang out there raping people. Well, where was all the people who run the place? They were Aren't there. they supposed to be taking care of these? No, people? they loved him. They didn't know that he was doing this. So I, oh, oh it's the, it's Jimmy's alone time with the patients now, and then he would just go in. Yeah, there or because he he stayed there, he lived there. Oh, like they gave him a little apartment. Oh, and so he, he had, would like creep he had around multiple at apartments in multiple places around England. Oh my god! And that's so interesting. But like you're watching it, and like one. He's he's unpleasant to look at. He's not a good. No, he's dude. always ugly. Yeah, and, and and he's obnoxious. You know, uh, just I don't I don't I don't I don't want to upset anyone, but he sort of like sort of seems like a precursor to Russell Brand <laughs> in a lot of ways. But uh, it's just bizarre. But also the fact, like the way he's raising money, what he's raising money uh-huh. for, the way he interacts with. Women of all ages yeah. on his shows, it all seems like red flags to yeah. me now yeah. in this yeah. era. But yeah. you forget that back in the 70s and even in the 80s, yeah. 
we were just less aware of how many fucking creeps yeah. that were in our lives. Yeah. You know, like when Mr. Grace, the photography teacher at my elementary school, uh, was fired because he got busted for for touching on boys uh-huh. uh, in the dark room. Like that was like what? Yeah. Like he was right there the whole time. But now it just seems like well. You, you, we see, we know, we're all very educated about how to spot creeps. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 there's something about uh, modern life, and I, I hope it's not just the internet, but the the uh, the expansion of the mob consciousness has been one of the most remarkable parts of the second half of my adult life. I have to say, watching <sighs> a lot of the people now, it, it's not just, I don't think it's just that I'm an old person and I don't get the slang anymore. It's, <laughs> it's more that these uh, people raised after the advent of the internet to a large extent, uh, well, I think it's a lot easier for them to share an unspoken and tacit consciousness with others than it was certainly for me to feel like I was a part of anything I feel like there you can instantly find a bunch of people who agree with you yeah that's on true. the internet that's true. and you can instantly obviously uh, there's Edith head sweet little thing uh, but there's uh, uh, there's an astonishing uh, ability obviously to find people you disagree with on the internet but there's also all these safe zones, all these comfort places where you can go complain about the people you don't like, your neighbor, your whatever. And these things are, I, uh, I mean, there were always people who went and shot up malls or whatever, but there were never this many. No. And the, they, uh, they always had manifestos, but they didn't. A lot of them have the same manifesto over. You know, like these incel kids that got all excited a few years ago. And so many of them, uh, you know, acted out uh, over the course of some years, and it appears to be still a thing that's happening. And their celebratory shared consciousness is we can't get laid, we're fucking lames. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, because the, the, the part about hating women, sure, that's the part they talk about. The part they know in their soul is that they're just these guys that are too fucking lame to get laid. <laughs> I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I smell bad. I don't have good ideas. I'm not charming. Yeah. Nobody wants me. Yeah. Now, that is the actual bond, right? Sure. And so what they talk about is how these cunts are unkind to them, you know, and how dare they. And that's, uh, you know, that's the same as any cult, you know? Yeah, but, that's true. But... These cults form, and you don't even have to go to Pittsburgh and live in this shitty house with other people's smelly feet. You can be in the cult from Ohio. Yeah. You can be in the cult from fucking Alaska. China. I can't get laid in China. We're here, brother. <laughs> we can't get laid but in we, Pittsburgh. But we do hate you because you're commies. Oh, but we do hate you because we're fucking uptight. <laughs> Fuck, I forgot about the uptight part. I knew I was incel. I just forgot I was Republican, too. God damn it. <laughs> Shit. Did you read any of the obituaries for Orrin Hatch yesterday? <laughs> no. I mean, I saw some funny ones. <laughs> I'm sure they were funny. I ones. saw some funny Orrin Hatch I stories. wish I, I didn't get any funny Orrin Hatch. Uh, I got, 
Oh, yeah, I got Richie Havens, you know, who played at Woodstock. He's not in the movie because they didn't like black people. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he said he was at a party once, and Orrin Hatch walked up and said, I'm such a big fan, can you sign something for me? And he really didn't like Orrin Hatch. You know, right, right. Orrin Hatch is a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, and he, he said his wingman, his friend, his producer, walked up and steered him and, and interrupted and fucking uh, saved, his, saved him from uh, having to sign something for Orrin Hatch. Nice. That's the best thing I've seen. That's a so good story. Far. Yeah, I there's been a number of stories along those lines, not necessarily with famous people, just people who had run-ins with Orrin Hatch. And it's always uh, pretty funny. It must be difficult to be... Uh, you know, this famous person, uh, you know, we have a lot of reality shows to this effect, I guess, and a lot of personal memoirs, but people approach you, you know, from out of the blue, and they want things, and they want to offer you things, but mostly they want things. And they all fucking know you. Like, they don't, probably, but they all assume, right, that mm-hmm. they've seen you and they know you. And you've had this experience, right, with people who uh, uh, presumed things about you that weren't the case, because they saw you on TV, and therefore there's this intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a play once, and this girl, I know I've told this story a hundred times, because it's about the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. And I'm walking down fucking uh, Christopher Street, or one of those uh, fun streets over there on a Friday night, and it's crowded, and it's good times, and uh, this girl grabs me out of the crowd, just walks up and grabs me, and says, you're John Proctor. <laughs> just I was in a play, and uh, I got to have sex with her several times because I was on a stage once, and you know probably not that good. You know, college production. What are you going to do? And this this relationship between uh, performers uh, and people you've never met, I think we need to study this a lot more. We need to investigate this, and the more we investigate it, you know, it's part of the thing about. Uh, Colorblind casting and then uh, turned, you know, colorblind casting immediately turned into, uh, uh, what do they call it now? Where you have to be the race of the uh, person. Oh, uh, diverse, diverse casting? Okay. Uh, I don't know. So, so now that you, you're obligated to be, you know, the race and the, the uh, gender and the, uh, the, uh, the, the right, uh, whatever, uh, uh, right, you know, as, as this thing that might be 500 years old was written, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, the the idea that we are communicating so thoroughly our identity through character to anybody who looks at what we're doing as performers this idea is creepy to me uh, because of its impact right somebody says ah fuck there's Jeff Chandler playing Cochise this sucks he's a Jewish guy he can't play a fucking Native American, especially Jay Silverheels is standing right next to him. It's fucking obvious. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's obvious. And, you know, these things upset us on a moral level. And I think about that. That's insane. There's shadows, literally, on a wall, <laughs> literally. And that's how excited we are. Yeah. That's how connected we are to these things. That seems very dangerous to me, very... Eventually, I feel like it's going to be too dangerous to do. Like everybody's a target. If you're if you're known, you're a target. If you're the loudest thing on the street, if you're the quietest thing on the street, if you're in any way remarkable, if 
you attract any attention at all in modern society, you can. It'll make sense to somebody to kill you, to attack you, to uh, address you at least. Well, you know, back in the eighties, we only had the tabloids doing that. Isn't that funny? And now we all do it. We all contribute. We all act like the. Well, we are. We, and when it's our generation, anyway, we were brought up on uh, shock TV and you know current affair, yeah. Schwarmbaum, you know, yeah. and you know, and they were so they were so soft, though. Mm-hmm. They were compared to what we've got now. Those things, I feel like. Well, it was harder to uncover like the creepiness or the badness of a famous person. Uh, back then because it, it, you know it, like if if the tabloids found out you know something real mm-hmm. juicy then mm-hmm. they would they would run with it but it's not that easy I mean the tabloids like half the time they you know are dealing in half truths and all that stuff um, but it 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 was just harder because now you know people are shitty online like they do their bad stuff and then there's a record of it so it's hard to uh you know, I don't know if you watched any of that Marjorie Taylor Greene trial, but it was pretty fucking funny, man. Yeah. I mean, every question she would go, I remember that. And then he'd play it. And then she'd go, I don't know what that was. Sounds like me. <laughs> and I was just like, that's amazing. But that's the reality of it is if, you, if you're acting like an asshole out there and if you're collecting child pornography on your computer, they can fucking find you. Yeah. If somebody clues into that, yeah. they can find you. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, there are upsides and downsides to that shit. Like, it's it's harder. I mean, it still obviously happens all the time. You know, we had, you know, we had Bill Cosby and we had Kevin Spacey and we, you know, like these people who are doing, like Jimmy Seville did this like creepy thing for decades. This like hor- these horrible yeah. uh, uh, serial crimes for decades. Uh, and it, Kevin Spacey didn't get to go that long. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's that maybe that's a good thing. But then the bad thing, what you're saying is, you know, and, and this is a point I think that Bill Maher makes that I don't disagree with, is that there are, there are you know, degrees to these crimes. And when you lump every everybody in to the same bucket of sex criminal... Mm-hmm. You know, when, you know, his favorite is Aziz Ansari. I, I, you know, I don't want to spend any time <laughs> defending Aziz because I've never been a fan. Uh, but, like, you know, he was shitty on a date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and inappropriate. And it, it would have been easy enough for him to not be a douche. But... Sounds a little porny. Her description of it is that he was pushing a sort of porny vibe and she didn't want to go with it. But yeah. she did it anyway. Yeah. Well, I, you know... Uh, Bill Maher on his new special explains it as uh, like he went down on her and then wanted the next step and she didn't. Mm. That I don't know what the fuck happened really, but it in the end like that is not Cosby. It's not the same. You know what I mean? But yeah. everybody gets treated the same way. 
Well, I don't, like that's that's what you're saying. Right? I don't no, not well. No, I I don't think that was something I meant to say. Although I don't disagree. Although I will say that Aziz Ansari has not been treated like Cosby in that he's got two new specials. Well, no, no, yeah, of course. I, but 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 yes, I, I'm going with Bill Maher's alternate I, reality. I've which always is, I I know nothing about Bill Maher except that uh, he shouldn't wear a t-shirt. <laughs> Uh, but there's there's a uh, there's an element to uh, always I've been upset that uh, you know the sex criminal registry is an extraordinarily broad scope you know yeah yeah exactly and you can't make uh, you can't get convicted of any fuck up sexually uh, without having to go door to door and explain to your neighbors who you are without having to make sure you know it's almost impossible in a city uh, or especially a small town in this country to live, you know, X number of yards from a fucking school. Yeah. Schools everywhere. Yeah. It's one of our major institutions. And so being blocked out of that, uh, and you know, yes, it it could be for, uh, for something really, really heinous. And it could be for something, uh, measurably in my opinion, less heinous. And that's an unpopular opinion in a lot of circles. And, uh, I think anybody who's into, uh, zero tolerance policies is a fucking Nazi. I don't care where you came from. Zero tolerance is stupid. Yeah, we can't lump all the crap. But, you know, back to what you were saying, you know, I, w- I was using the sex offender thing as a analogous thing to what I think you were trying to say about people jumping on, get, getting offended and turning somebody into a persona non grata and sure. you know raking them across the coals like the tabloids uh, once did sure. uh, for whatever perceived thing and there are different grades of it you know because uh, you know when people talk about so and so got cancelled nobody really seems to get cancelled for very long but you know Louis C.K. won a Grammy this year uh-huh. so uh, uh, in a special that was much I guess apparently mostly about uh, his sex crimes <laughs> making jokes about it well if you've gotten established uh, i I think there's a big big but that's a there's a big difference between like louis ck doing what he did you know and and somebody else who i don't know played a role that was originally written for somebody of color or whatever you know what i mean (laughs) yeah i think uh i think there's uh uh, it's degrees and, and nuance doesn't enter into the internet is the trouble because this is what I guess this is what I'm saying the mob consciousness and I say mob obviously I'm, I, I would prefer a different word but I'm kind of high there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's essentially a, a group consciousness that comes from the internet which we didn't used to have nearly this depth or breadth of it and it has no ability for nuance it has yeah. no ability uh, for degree and this is essentially uh going to bring about the downfall of civilization, I believe, uh, sincerely with all my heart. As somebody who's getting old, right, I realize that that's a silly thing to say. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the news that the kids are learning now is, that, uh, is, is so black and white and so obstinate and so uh, petulant. People who know nothing have the same power in a mob as the people who actually know something and might leave the mob. There's essentially a, a no power differential between fucking idiots who are wholly uninformed and, and even ill-intentioned and in bad faith. These people, uh, 
it doesn't matter that they're uh, that they're ill-intentioned or have bad faith because the mob, uh, uh, as a this is an idiot argument. Really. Uh, <laughs> the point is that uh, if you get enough fucking uh, uh, blog posts about you, uh, you know, then it could affect your your career. Yeah, for sure. I had a bunch written about me <clears throat> when I defended my editor. And my editor was fired, and the 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 website was destroyed. So what, I want I want to make the, your editor say. I want to make the point specifically <laughs> that that it's very easy to get really canceled for real. Yeah. If you're not a celebrity who already ma- you know makes millions and, and and conceivably billions of dollars, you know, uh, for a power structure that already exists and wants to support that because it makes money off of you. Yeah. If you're not part of that, you can get canceled in a fucking minute. Well, and you lost your job because you worked for this website. I, I only lost my job in terms of the website shut down. Yeah. I, was, I mean, that's I was sort lucky. of the, always the bad thing when I think about it. When I think about movies or t- old TV shows, I mean, look at the Cosby show, uh-huh. you know, uh, and, you know, there, there are a bunch of actors who were living off those residuals and then that thing yep. gets yep. yanked and then they don't have money anymore. And yep. that's fucking horrible because yep. they didn't rape anybody. Nope. Um, and that, and I feel like that happens with movies, you know, and all that stuff. If you know, no, one person terrible. in there all that is collateral damage yeah, yeah. is, 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 uh, unconsidered. No nuance. There's, there's no nuance to, Oh, he's bad. Uh, this, uh, among white people of my acquaintance, I noticed after, uh, after uh, the space alien guy, what's his name? The, the the actor who slapped the other actor at the box. Will Smith. After Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, uh, a lot of fucking people I knew in my feed were arguing that he should go to jail immediately. He should have been arrested immediately, no matter what. And you know, I've been in almost as many fist fights as our, your roofer. <laughs> and the, the, the experience of having, uh, you know, cops around and, and, you know, being in multiple situations where there was physical violence displayed uh, and, and, and the cops came, I've never seen anybody go to jail. You know, I've never been in a fist fight where people were, were murdered or, or, you know, yeah. severely injured. Once or twice, somebody had to go to the hospital. But these are minor things, and you're supposed to handle minor things yourself. You know, getting the cops involved for somebody slapping you once and then walking away and demonstrating no intention to further the violence. This is... It's just ridiculous. And that's a nuance issue, right? Was it right for him to go up there? Dude, anybody who fucking attacks somebody for telling a joke, I think, should be physically attacked. (laughs) I am into that. I would have tried to beat him up even though he's much bigger than me and I would have lost. You don't get to fucking do that when I have a mic. You don't do that. That's that's something that must be punished. And in my opinion, it should be punished immediately. And uh, the fact that they didn't do anything to him, I think, is, uh, is is terrible. The fact that they didn't throw him out physically is terrible. Well, Should I, he go to jail? Absolutely not. No, this is uh, what it was, I, I felt, is what we were witnessing was a uh, San Fernando Valley dive bar altercation. Yeah, yep. A yep. guy insulted another guy's yep. date. yep. And that guy got mad because he didn't have the words to come back. Yep. You know, if you're smart, you can you can throw the barbs back. But, you know, some people don't have that. They have violence is the answer. Yeah. And so they slap you. But if you fucking insult somebody's <laughs> wife mm-hmm. or girlfriend in a San Fernando Valley bar, 
you're you you in your mind you're prepared to get into a fucking altercation, right? Mm. I mean, you don't do that mm. unless you're looking to get in a fight. So, you know, that's I, I have to say the the venue uh, matters. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and they, they were not in a San Fernando dive no, bar. No, I, I totally and agree. I, and they're I, millionaires. Too. And they're and they're. All, uh, <laughs> do you know how much money? Fucking. Uh, uh, God, I can't remember his name. Not Chris Rock, the guy that hit it. Will Smith. Do you know how much money Will Smith's movies have generated? How many billions? Throw a dart. Uh, three billion. Six. Six billion. So there's no way this guy's career is over because he did this thing. This is a guy who makes a lot of money for his partners. Not lately. Not much lately. No. Not making a lot of money for anybody lately. But he did win an Oscar. Ooh, gosh, that's tarnished. This guy is a $6 billion man. I think he's fine. Uh, Chris Rock I've seen people say oh you know this is going to damage his career he's uh, uh, you know he looks like an idiot he's a guy who got slapped Uh, that's terrible you should sue him that's also stupid Uh, I don't know I don't know where people fucking live you know there's extensive video footage of fucking Will Smith slapping random reporters slapping people here and there he's a slapper (laughs) <laughs> he, he's a guy who's very physical, and uh, he, he grew up physical. He, you know, he got in trouble for beating up his manager right before he uh, got the Fresh Prince gig. He's, uh, you know, one of these guys. Uh, uh, I hate to say it, uh, I share a lot of these characteristics of often feeling trapped and not having any other uh, way to express myself, and that's, you know, that's on me. That's yeah. not Will Smith. That's not a good thing. That's not a way to live in society. That's no good at all. And now, this cashmere sweater on the bare chest. Yeah. I have a fetish about this. I think this is so cool. I just, this is one it of my... It looks so itchy. One, but it looks horrible on him. Yeah. It it's 1966. Bad. I'm telling you. It was just a bad time. Like, the, the neck should be deeper. The plunge should be deeper. Uh, it almost looks like it's strangling his big muscular <laughs> neck. Uh, and, and you know, I, I've worn a cashmere sweater on bare skin. It's fucking lovely. Is it? It does not itch. In oh, the it's least. nice. It is astonishingly. It's not wool. It's right. this other thing. It's amazing. Well, this looks itchy because you see it's all, there's all the things. And it's the got the things, the things little fuzz coming out. Coming yeah, out. Fuzz. It looks like it needs to be rubbed with that rock. Yeah, you know, that pumice thing that they do to take it down. Yeah, it does, uh, but it doesn't. It feels good. Bad design. They obviously did it on purpose so they could highlight it. Look, it's he's backlit. It's glowing around his head. Oh no, Tony! Aww. Oh, their friendship is ruined. But he's still got Jack Sue. I guess the bartender that lives in his house, right? Yeah, yeah. Love him. Well, is is he like a butler type? I guess he must be a butler. Yeah, but he isn't he about to? He's about to lose the his bartender butler too. Oh right, doesn't he get uh, thrown over by uh, by Jack Sue as well? Says he can't take it. Yeah, so I, Sue bails at a certain point, but I guess it wasn't that scene. Yeah, I think that's Edie Adams. Is who that is? She's great. She's delightful. Oh my god. They're going to this... Oh, my God. Look at that place. Puce. Is that puce? I don't know what color that is. Jesus Christ. What is that? Is, is that J&B Scotch? This is a dirty weekend, is what this is. That's horrible. Yeah. This is an over-the-couch kind of weekend. This is... Oh, God. That Wipe that shit off your face. 
Wipe all that blue fucking makeup out of your uh, occipital bone, and then maybe. You know, in the movies, whenever they are in apartments, even when, like, the exterior of this is a pretty classic, shitty valley apartment-looking yep. thing. Yeah, I've lived there. And you go, in, you go inside, and she spent thousands yeah. on window dressing and yep. all the in these yep. fucking furniture. And yep. that's... Pink lamp. Yeah, and that's not the way most apartments look they have you'd have the slatted blinds on the one window. or two one or two units in every apartment building i've lived in the people spent money on their window treatment and since you don't usually go into the other people's apartment i don't right, know what else right. they did but uh we have one window that has a decent window treatment uh right now uh-huh two we, have two. we we did we had an apartment and we got uh we had drapes put up but like after we did that and we started having problems with the landlord you regretted it i was like fuck yeah no my fucking uh my old uh, roommate and landlord i was subletting a room from him uh he had had the kitchen redone twice he'd been there for like 20 years uh but he he would have the kitchen redone and then Weedle the uh, craftsman, uh, tradesman out of his uh, fair pay. I watched him do it. It was grotesque. It was sickening. But at any rate, uh, he he would regularly uh, improve the property. And right after he redid the kitchen the second time, uh, we got evicted. God damn! They were turning the building into uh, right. a nicer building, and they were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. no more rent control." Uh. It was the only rent control building in fucking Culver City or something. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, he was paying. What I was paying for the room was almost as much as uh, I think I was paying six fifty for the room. I think the whole fucking three bedroom joint was uh, seven fifty. Really, eight fifty or something. It was wow. ridiculous. Uh, wow. And uh, when I found that out. Uh, I liked him even less, but at any rate, <laughs> the the point of uh, uh, the point of point of our discussion is this uh, lady spent way too much money. And look <laughs> at the soot on the lamp. What yeah, is what's that, that is, about? She just is, smokes is that where she to the sits lamp? and smokes? Yeah, I guess. Gosh, uh oh, she's got secret. I mean, hiding. if that is what they meant with that, that's some interesting uh, yeah. art direction yes, right it there. Is. That's some good set dressing. Yes, it is. Uh, he was uh, nominated. The 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 uh, uh, the designer uh, uh, was nominated. Oh shit! Now, For this movie? Yes. Oh. Yeah, this movie got some nominations. It didn't win anything. It's interesting when movies both have nominations and you know Razzies or whatever you what, what was it called? These the, are my favorite kind of, Yeah, it was Golden Turkey back then, I guess. Boy, I tell you, uh, of the actors in history that I would feel comfortable punching in the face. Boy, Ernest Borgnine is not on the list. I would not want to punch. I would not, no. not even say anything about his wife, even if I was the MC. <laughs> oh, Tony, this is Tony's finest moment. I think doesn't he come in and tell him off? He's all dirty. Where's he been? Uh oh. <laughs> Some kind of poison. What was wow. that? He the, like the, the finger po- screw. The finger, he just yeah. he gave him a little hook. At the end, you're some kind of poison. He he went in with a upwards point, yeah, uh, and but then he flipped it. Yeah, he really really screwing it some to kind him. Of poison. That's how you that's how you win a golden turkey. You make all the choices. 
What's wrong with me? You're wrong with me. Oh, God. Yeah, there's something about, oh, there's something about bad acting choices, especially the ones that are born of not knowing any better, you know, like like a lack of... Like you're a musician and you're <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. Or you're like the daughter of a musician oh. and an actress. And oh. That fucking girl is so awful. <laughs> there, we watched this whole movie with, uh, you're talking, I know exactly, uh, you don't even have to say. Uh, everybody, this is that shared consciousness I'm talking about. It's creepy. Everybody knows the same shit. And you know what? It's just like the 50s. We all have the same three channels. Everybody's got Prime. Everybody's got Netflix. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, that girl, the... Uh, 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 that skinny girl uh, with the bones. Um, there's this other movie that I guess she wrote that was on. The fuck was it on? Uh, we, we was it on Netflix or was it on? Not that Soderbergh thing on HBO. She was trapped in a room. She was agoraphobic and she couldn't go outside. Yeah, Cammy. Is that what it's called? It's the Soderbergh movie on HBO. What happens in that movie? Because uh, uh, the one I saw, she 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 was finally able to go out of the room or something. Like, yeah. It was the most boring fucking thing I've ever fucking seen <laughs> in my life. And I only say that about the worst movies. This was one of the worst movies. This wasn't even funny. It was just god-awful, and she's awful. And when you get into a Batman movie... Critically acclaimed, by the way, though. That movie? Yep. That movie was fucking terrible. That was I, a Soderbergh movie? Uh-huh. Did he die? Well, see, that's right what before I, he directed uh, it. Yeah, this is what I wonder: is sometimes with the auteur directors, it just I feel like people aren't really watching the movie. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of cinematic sycophancy. I think. Yes. Yeah, we all have this, and you have your favorites. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, like all my favorites are dead, so I, I, you know, I can stand high and mighty and condescend uh-huh, to everybody uh-huh, who's still. Uh-huh. But, like, I, you know, I never got into Wes Anderson. We were talking about Eggers before. Oh, yeah, another yeah. auteur director I don't understand. Most of the auteur directors who who currently consistently have output, uh, uh, I just don't get it. I, like, I don't, I'm not in line with uh, their stuff. There's, there's a, I look at it like this. I mean, if, I did if, watch John Carpenter's The Ward, and I didn't think it was good. You know what I mean? I uh, I didn't know he had a new thing. That's so that's not it's not new. It's already probably ten years old. But it was a it's straight. Was it video. after Vampires? That's after Vampires. The, the last feature, yeah, and right, it, I think right. it was even after he did his two Masters of Horror right, right. episodes, and it was basically coming out of retirement, gun for hire on a straight to video horror movie. You know, uh, I look at it like this. If you're doing a personal act, not everybody's going to get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of people I think are supremely talented who I only like one or two of their movies. Sure. But I support what they're doing. Yeah, me too. Even though I think it's shitty, you know? Yeah, I and support a, Eggers. I support yes. Paul Thomas Anderson. Right. And I support them all. And right. I usually wind up watching their shit and being disappointed by it. But, you know. There's a, there's a couple of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And there's a couple of parts of other... T- Paul Thomas Anderson movies 
that I just think are fucking lit by genius. Yeah, they're yeah, just, sure, sure. They're just, they're just haloed by this fucking light of God that can't miss, you know, that... Uh, 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 the Adam Sandler one, I think, is just fucking... Yeah, I like that. It's wrongly good. It's so good, it shouldn't be that good. It makes all these terrible mistakes, but I, I have all this goodwill, you know? Right, but what I'm saying, too, is that, like, with these auteurs, like, you go to see the latest Wes Anderson movie, and you fucking love it, it's great. I would argue that you didn't see the movie. It's entirely possible not to see the movie. I think that a lot of people are like that. I flatter myself that most of the time... I uh, have I have a very practiced critical eye for analysis, uh-huh. and there's I'm well, you're a, a professional critic. I am a, a I uh, was a Wes Anderson fan from the second movie. Rushmore. I don't like Bottle, Bottle Rocket. Rocket. I never liked Bottle Rocket. Rushmore is astonishing uh, to me, uh, uh, and uh, the next one is even better. The Ten Bombs. Uh, they're so personal. They're so intimately personal. They're so about... Fantastic Mr. Fox is so personal. I, I like that one, yeah. I don't know how anybody could not be charmed by this guy's fascination with G.I. Joes, you know, with all those little plush animals, mm-hmm. with all these weird diversions that... I don't know if you're a fan of that book. None of the shit in that movie is in that book. The Fantastic Mr. Fox, as I recall. Do you have a copy of that? Did you guys do that one? That was a big favorite of mine when I was a kid. Fantastic Mr. Fox. It was amazing. That movie takes this clever, cute universe as a sort of launching pad and does not come back and goes places that the, that the book never, never thought once of going. And it's gorgeous to me. It's just so... And it's like watching a child play. Yeah, sure. A really intelligent child playing, a really skilled, intelligent There's child. There's your Sinatra. Oh, yeah, Sinatra wins. And, and Frankie Fain didn't win, and he stands there. He got up to go. It's the Zoolander moment. You know, I'm pretty yeah. sure Zoolander uh, may have uh, seen this. Sinatra wins. That's right. And he's standing there. I love that moment. It's a fabulous moment. Oh, was that his daughter? Was that Nancy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was Nancy. Um, oh, oh, uh, this hurts me every time I see this. And uh, poor Stephen Boyd has to clap for Sinatra because he didn't win. Oh, he's broken. He's a broken man. Broken. Broken. Has been. Loser. Nobody loves you. Goodbye. Yeah, I, 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 that's one of the only shots in this movie. It's pretty rough. It makes sense. Uh, although it is kind of funny when you think about it. Because, you know, his whole thing was hinging on totally being an asshole and cheating everybody. Which, so is, which is not how you charm an academy full of already <laughs> no. kind of annoyed people. <laughs> no. you know, that have to put up with people like you all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think Frankie Fane had a chance in hell the way he was going at it. But what are you going to do? What are you? Gonna anyway, do? I that was my answer for why that HBO Soderbergh movie people liked it because I think that's entirely true. Name was on. So yeah, I was long-windedly getting to yeah. Wes Anderson's a lot of his movies that I think are not very personal. Uh, that one in Budapest, it's like okay, this is an exercise in form. That's fine, but it's not any good. Uh, it's not really that watchable. <laughs> Uh, nice. 
<laughs> the, the people at home, the movie just ended and it launched into uh, one of my uh, shows. That's beautiful. Uh, uh, I like to see you at work. It's lovely. <laughs> but yeah, there's no... Uh, uh, there's. What are we talking about? We were well. You were wrapping up. Uh, West oh Hampton. yeah, yeah. There's lots of uh, people who who I think the world of who I often don't like their stuff, and there's a lot of people who I like their stuff so much that years later I go back and look at something and I'm like, what the fuck? Well, and there's different because I think you can get into that mindset of I'm just here to enjoy a fucking Soderbergh movie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I must have known that was a Soderbergh movie. I always pay attention to that shit. And it was so bad that I just fucking... That, see, that's where I contributed to your exact malaise. I blocked it out. Mm-hmm. That movie wasn't even a Soderbergh movie to me. It was all the fault of that skinny girl. <laughs> uh, and, and the other thing uh, uh, about her... And I know this is, you know, uh, 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 petty and inside baseball. Uh, but when I was watching her on SNL, mm-hmm. you know... Her arms, like, are tatted completely, mm. uh, like almost to a sleeve level. Okay. Like, there's there's tattoos everywhere. Okay. And to be an actress uh-huh. and to make that choice, yeah, is so privileged. Yeah. It's so entitled. It's almost like your mom you, was a movie star and your dad was a rock star. Yeah, because you you have to go and the makeup people yep. have to fucking sit with yep. you for two hours yep. before you can be on camera because your arms. It's uh, Nicholas Cage does that. Fucking uh, uh, Channing Tatum, who I otherwise love, they have to cover up all kinds of tats for him. Sean Connery had a giant fucking stupid marine thing, you know. Where, yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, there's somebody that has to fucking cover up those things now. That makes it seem like a mistake. Oh, I have this thing that every time I go to work, I have to undo. Yeah. It makes it seem like you made an error there. You know, uh, Sean Connery wasn't going to be a movie star when he got this fucking sure. Marine tat or sure. whatever the fuck it was. But uh, if you consistently keep doing that, and it's because you need to express your personal shit, um, except your job is you know expressing somebody else's personal shit, it's very interesting. But if we continue on the tack we are now... And I don't think I'm, you know, being particularly mean about this, but our the way we're going with your identity has to match the role that you take as an actor, right? You have to mm. you have to publicly identify as you know whatever you know whatever characteristics of the person are politically important at that you know at the time mm. of production. Uh, I think tats are going to go into that. You know, you can't have fake tats. You need somebody who's tatted. You need somebody with ink for that role. You know what the fuck. Uh, and so then you yeah, have but some then, actor that's then, trapped in only playing tat roles. Well, yeah, but... So uh, uh, what we want, you know, as far as identity in this culture, uh, and it's one of the things I like about our podcast here is that we're, you know, we're talking about that. We, we don't stray too far from the topic of identity and who, you know, and what's changing because we're middle-aged men who are watching things be very different from how they used to be for us sure, yeah. and for everybody else. And it all looks frightening to me. Uh, uh, you know, you have a kid, so I, I can't imagine, you know, the, the horror that you must feel sometimes, <laughs> you know, thinking of the future. I, oh, the the things that horrify me about the future are very different and don't have a lot to do with uh, identity politics. Here's my here's <clears throat> here's my here's my suggestion. But I do think they're scary. I think they do. 
Well, maybe you're right. I think identity politics, and, and not even identity politics, the question of identity, which uh, once, it becomes, once it becomes mainstream, we're going to stop calling it identity politics, and we're just going to call it identity. And uh, it's already happening. Where we are, who we think we are, is becoming so important that what we actually are is going to become and has already become vastly less important. You know, uh, what you're accomplishing, who you, you know, what what you've actually done, uh, where you're going, what your intentions are. You know, mm-hmm. uh, why you've taken the steps that you've taken in your life. These things are vastly less important now than uh, your presentation in a lot of arenas. I'm not saying always. Obviously, if you want to be a doctor, you more or less have to go to medical school and then be an intern somewhere um, for now. Mm-hmm. But the, I, the question of identity and who you think you are is central to what we do on this podcast, which is watch fucking movies. You know? yeah, sure. And all these movies attempt to capture some aspect of the society that we live in, even if they're set on a different planet or you know, it's puppets talking or whatever it is. We're always talking about who we are you know, and who would do that. And in these sleazy, shitty movies that we tend to watch, we tend to watch people be- misbehaving at the extreme end <laughs> you know, where where society accepts yeah. things, and so here's what's amazing to me, and I'll shut up. I promise we can get out of here. But I watching Frankie Fane fuck around and try to get an Oscar here, or just try to become you know a bigger, fancier, more gold plated sleazeball. This reminds me of what's happening all around us all the time when we're just trying to be. You know, mm-hmm. now the way you walk from your car into the Seven Eleven, it, it, it's fraught. You know, because you're either wearing a mask, or you're not. Right. You know, and these decisions broadcast. You know, they project you and your identity and your personality, and they did even before we wore masks. You know, uh, I can't go anywhere without a sleeveless shirt because I'm afraid someone will not take me seriously as a physical threat. <laughs> yeah, because whatever traumas I formed in my childhood, you know, this has to do with my identity, my presentation. Uh, other people have their own issues that form their presentation, you know, their own neuroses and things. And it all comes from a sort of nationalism. You know, we all want to be with the winning team. And so we all got to convince each other that we're the winning team. And so it becomes about, you know, the color of your shoes, the color of your hair, the color of your eyes, how many books you burned. I think what we're doing is not completely useless. I often feel like I'm driving over here to waste your time. I feel terrible <laughs> I about that. I feel terrible you about that. That, that, and, and especially anybody who would tune in because I think, oh, fuck, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to offer. You know, I'm this not very smart person who likes movies and I can tell you, you know, what other movies that guy was in. Maybe if I'm not too high. Yeah. And I worry about this. And these are, these are my contributions to society, essentially. But on my good days, I think that what we're doing is essentially investigating the human condition from, you know, this trash angle that, <laughs> that we find. You know, we have other aspects to our lives. You and yeah. I do not spend all of our time watching shitty movies. It's a transgression for us that we find uh, rejuvenating. Because we can see ourselves in the horrible, tawdry mirror. And I just want to say before we get off, uh, I'm so sorry I never listened to you about the Purge movies. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of them is any good. I didn't like the first one, but I just watched the one that's on HBO the now. Forever. The Forever, forever one. Purge, yeah. This is... Uh, these are sleazy horror oh, yeah. action thrillers with my politics. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there there are movies with my right? That yeah. was an hard that was a fucking hard, you know, yeah. action movie. And it wasn't some right wing Sylvester Stallone Chuck Norris production. Yeah. And I, I gotta tell you, thanks. Thanks for telling yeah, me for so many times. Because through the asshole of society is where bad movies uh, start to investigate. That's where they shove the camera, right? We get a colonoscopy from a movie where the sheriff gets shot in the first reel, you know, and then we then we go where we go, and it has to convince us. Yeah. Even in a shitty movie, the universe has to look more or less like the one that we recognize, or a reasonable variation thereof, and the rules have to make sense, just like us. Walking mm-hmm. just like me walking from my car into Seven Eleven and hoping I don't get in a fist fight, you know. Yeah, I love seeing these aspects of myself in these shitty movies, just as I like seeing them in Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, you watch yourself elevated by the Saint Crispin's Day speech or whatever the fuck, and you watch yourself elevated by shooting the sheriff. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I think what we're talking about. Even when we don't put uh, too fine a point on it, I think this is essentially a good. I've come to believe that what we're doing is 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 investigating people in a fairly safe, fairly reasonable way. Yeah, I agree. I I think we are. I, I'm glad we're not proud boys. <clears throat> You know, I'm glad. I'm glad Somebody's we're not those gotta... guys who go into crowds and beat up journalists. I'm glad that that wasn't our decision. And it's a, here's a way to investigate the human condition: stop the news about us. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, um, we'll see next month. Why don't we do this? Is available on Tubi. Love it. Um, uh, and you can also rent it okay. if you want to spend two bucks. Uh, but let's watch. I showed you my acquisitions in the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we try Action USA? I love it. That's we, the one with Conan's dad, right? Uh, yeah, and it's got the the yeah. Is that the guy from Getavan? Yeah, yeah. It's that that one. William Smith, I and, believe. It's yeah, right. that's his name. And it's directed by yes, know, stunt it's guy. It's, it's yeah. got Graydon. Uh, is that the Graydon Clark production, or is that the uh, other, that's no, the other one? That's the other one. Okay. No, no, this one's. Uh, I can't remember his name. We'll get into it. Next oh, time the, 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 one of the stunt guys, uh, uh, maybe Hal Needham, or one. Of it wasn't Hal Needham, Hal. but it it is. It, it looked a little he's, little below Hal Needham. This but. guy's specialty is uh, like vehicular. Nice. Uh, so nice. that like this movie is just. Uh, smash up porn. Nice. It's like gone in sixty seconds, uh-huh. kind of, but uh-huh. with I guess a little bit more narrative thrust and more smashing and explosions. Very lots excited. Of explosions. Very excited. I'm gonna watch this movie. Very eighties. Right away. Very eighties. Right Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks folks. for listening. We love you. We do.